0: World's Finest Podcast, Episode 17. As always, I'm Michael David Sims, and with me is James Doe. Greetings. How are you, Mr. Doe?
1: Uh, exhausted. No, <laughs> just from from uh, work and stuff. Stuff. What's, what's stuff? <laughs> well, well, you know, I'm doing I'm doing these music videos, mm-hmm. and I've been working on like the third part of this, the big one. I'm, I've been working on forever now, and. I got done with the first half of it, then I get to the second half of it, and the video that I'm going to be using, for the movie that I'm going to be using as the source material for this video, has the subtitles all burned onto the damn image, oh. onto the, the, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I've, gone, I've, I've come this far, don't do this to me. Uh, but yeah, and I don't get enough sleep as it is, so I'm always up just working on crap like that. and. And I had to go into work at seven in the morning today, and uh, yeah, so I've been working. I think my average night's sleep before I go into work is eh, about four hours. Oh, yeah. So, and then I've got the uh, Best Buy repeatedly screwing up my credit cards that I've been apl- I've applied for. They send three times. They've sent me ones that are misspelled. <laughs> I have my name misspelled.
0: <laughs> How are they spelling it?
1: Uh, let's see, D. E-A-X.
0: Okay.
1: So it's like, um, who is James D X? <laughs> so I've been going back and forth to Best Buy, just trying to get this st- stuff like uh, situated. and Maybe they'll send me the correct one this time. I don't know.
2: <laughs>
1: but anyway, my rants aside, how about you?
0: <laughs> I'm good. You know, really right now I'm just all focused on Christmas shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first time ever, Jen and I are actually trying to get it done, not the day before Christmas.
1: <laughs> it's a nice feeling. Yeah, I, it really it is. is.
0: And let me flip to my list here. I, I keep a list of, uh, how many, mo- you know, who we've bought for and who we still need to buy for. Let me see. Um, so far we've purchased six gifts and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have seven more people to go. So we're just about at the halfway point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, not including, you know, that doesn't include uh, Jen and I buying for each other. Right. So, but, uh so yeah, it feels really good to be done with six people. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know,
1: I've only got about three left. Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm not kidding when I say... We're shopping on the twenty third, twenty fourth. It's just what we do. It's 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 almost like a tradition at this point with us. Oh, um,
1: that's that's a psychotic tradition, I must it say. Is, <laughs> it is
0: because what'll happen is, uh, my parents are divorced, have been since I was like five years old or something. I, I don't even remember. And uh, you know, I go to my dad's on the twenty third. That's my Christmas Eve with him. My, the 24th, the actual Christmas Eve is my Christmas with him. Then I go to my mom's on Christmas Eve night and I spend Christmas Eve with her. Then I come back the next day and spend actual Christmas day with her. Okay. So because I'm with my dad, after we do the presents, uh, like the presents amongst his family, I then generally go out shopping for like the stuff that I'm getting for my mom and her side of the family. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I, I luck out cause you know, it's, the stores are still open of course it's not you know there's still just yeah. enough time to, to buy stuff and that's that's like I said it's it's become a weird tradition I do gifts with my dad open gifts there and then i I go shopping for my mom <laughs> while I'm still at my dad's because then we go to a party um on, on my dad's side so I get a little shopping time go to this party then go to my mom's and then oh I'll go to my mom's again the next day it's hectic it's it's fucking hectic you know I mean when I was a kid it was it's going to sound weird. It was kind of great having divorced parents. Because, you know, you got double the gifts, right? Now, yeah. when you're an adult, it's like, wait, how many Christmas parties do I have to go to? Like, the one at my dad's house, the one at my dad's family's house, the one at my mom's house on Christmas Eve. Then there's the one at my mom's just with us. And then there's, you know what I mean? Yes. And then it's like, wait, then we have to do Jenny's side, too. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I hate being an adult. <laughs> uh. But, but despite all that, it does feel good to yes have at least half of our Christmas shopping done to date. So
1: yeah, if I wasn't so clinically broke, I'd probably be done already. But <laughs> my my whole paycheck was gone last week when I made my car payment. So
0: no, I think it was when you bought that Xbox 360, sir. Um yeah.
1: Well, well, you know, see since they misspelled my name, I don't technically have to pay it, do I?
0: No, I don't think you do. That that's your neighbor, as you said. That's James uh DX. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, he he lives over in uh uh Marietta. Yeah. I guess
0: he's two towns down. Yeah. We just have similar names and similar addresses. You just got the city wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> it doesn't work that way.
1: Oh, well, yeah. but yeah, I I will get it paid off. I've I have like two hundred dollars saved that I can p- make a big payment on it pretty soon, so I'll be fine. <laughs> I will survive. <laughs> you know,
0: now I realize something. A while back, we uh, promised our listeners that we would link them to your review of Saw Four, and I don't think we ever did that. Hmm? Remember,
1: I we were, I'm not recalling. I am.
0: We were talking on on in one of the intros. We were ragging on Saw Four as we're going right. to do. And we were talking about how you had one of your forthcoming tranquil rates about it. And I remember saying, or I think I remember saying, it's my memory, so I could be off base. For all I know, we were talking about apple pie. But anyways, yeah. um, I could swear I remember us saying that once the review was posted, we would give said link out on the air so people could go read it. And I don't think we ever did
1: that. I don't remember. I definitely don't remember giving out a link. I don't, I don't, I kind of, well, you know what? Now I kind of vaguely do remember we us just uh, saying something to that effect, but I know we didn't give a a link out. Someone,
0: someone, write in and let me know if I'm remembering this incorrectly or if I actually <laughs> had, you know, a semblance of a memory for once. But, anyways, I thought I would give the link out. That's the whole point I'm trying to get to, man. <laughs> well, then let's do it. Okay, if you guys are interested in reading uh, James's. Uh, should I call it a review, a rant, a well, revance? I, mean, I mean, what are we calling this thing? Well, it it's wasn't it just me It right? was uh, yeah, it was BW. it was
1: with uh, with Dubs, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but yeah, it was a discussion of the of the just lovely little plot holes and uh, characterization and the, the penises. Just yeah, yeah. We we talk about Jigsaw's penis yes. very br- very briefly, yes. and that was that was all. Yes, it was. By yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah and we've just ripped it to shreds, and I I graded it like a five, I think. Uh, let me
0: see. Out of 100, I got it open right here. Yes, you gave it a five. Very good yeah. memory. Um, and I, I'm not going to say it because I don't want to spoil it on the air, but I love your closing line there after you gave <laughs> your score, the very little last thing you said. Don't say it. Don't say it. Bef-
1: no, I'm just saying before I gave the score. Right after you gave right, the no, score. Right after. It. Yeah. Oh, okay. You had,
0: you had a little one more jab and it's really good it's really good so if
1: at the fan base
0: yeah, yeah. It, it is it is a shot at the fan base and not the film itself that's true um so if
1: but actually it's a kind of a dual <laughs> thing i did, i kind of did i insulted both the fan base and the movie in one little one-liner
0: that's true (laughs) (laughs) if you guys want to read this review um hopefully you have a pen handy by now um if you don't go grab a pen and some paper and here is the uh direct link to the review it's earth2.net that's earth dash the number two dot net slash reviews slash m that's the letter m slash saw then another dash zero four so again, that's earth2.net slash reviews slash m slash saw dash zero four. That's all lowercase. Um, and I will try to remember to put this in the uh, world's finest feedback thread at the forums, but I'll probably forget. So yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun review that James did yeah. here with uh We the had a, we, It seemed like you we guys had a We laughed so hard. Now, you guys have. <laughs> If you don't mind spilling the beans, you guys have more tranquil tirade conversations coming up. You two?
1: Uh, we haven't planned one out yet, but I'm sure we will do something in the future. If, if nothing else, we'll do Saw Five.
2: <laughs> oh, I don't want to wait a
1: year. <laughs> I, uh, like I said, that's that's just like if nothing else. But I'm sure we will get, uh, get we will get together again because that was immense amounts of fun.
0: Go back and review Saws one through three. <laughs> Torture yourself for my sight, damn it. Uh,
1: oh, God, don't I do that enough already? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? While we're at it, why don't we pimp your uh, Superman Doomsday tranquil... Trink- I can't say it, tranquil <laughs> tirades. Um, why don't you say a little something about it while I pull up the link, because I closed my browser like an idiot.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it. it's not even close to as bad as the stuff I've reviewed. It's... It's not even remotely as bad as *Soft 4 or Blood Rain or anything else I've reviewed like that. But it was, like I said before, it's a, it was a disappointing movie. Mm. I thought the writing was very lazy. Uh, I think that was my biggest gripe with it. Then the, the animation was confusing as all hell. I, Superman looks like he's 55. Lex Luthor looks like he's just, just past 25. I I don't know. The voice acting was very annoying in, at many points. But yeah, it, it you was a
0: great issue with uh, Lois Lane. Who did her? Was it Anne H?
1: She was rushed. The whole every time she spoke, it was like incredibly rushed. I couldn't understand what she was saying at some point. So mm. I had to go yeah. back at the very beginning. Her first little uh, monologue. I had to go back and say, "What, what did she yeah. say?" So it's like, yeah. And but like I said, it's not bad, as evidenced by the grade I gave it. But it's mediocre. Okay. Certainly mediocre. And it it shouldn't have been that way. It's as far as much as they pimped it, it should have been something incredible. Right.
0: Yeah. The question is, was it better than Superman Returns?
1: You know, I never saw Superman Returns. Oh
0: really?
1: No, I did. I've never seen. I've never had the desire to see oh, it. Well, you're honestly just because it was just because of everything I've heard from everybody. it's just like it's like I don't I don't really want to waste the time. Yeah. Now I may I may go back and watch it. Maybe there'll be a. Uh, tirades on that at some point. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure at some point I'll end up seeing it. But it's just you know right now I just don't have the desire okay. to.
0: Well, if you guys want to read James's review of Superman Doomsday, take that link I just give you that that I just gave you that same exact one for Saw Four and substitute take out Saw Four and for that substitute Superman Dash Doomsday. So again, same thing, just no Saw Four, Superman Dash Doomsday. Again, I'll try to remember to put this in the feedback thread for uh, those people that want to read it. While we're talking about uh, DC cartoons, but ones that aren't necessarily part of the DCAU, James, have you had a chance to watch uh, Ring Toss, the episode of The Batman that aired this past Saturday?
1: I indeed did. What would you think of Uh, this? I thought it was really good. It was very enjoyable. Um, I I kind of agree with you when you said that the gripe with Batman not really doing anything cool with it. But well, you know, I, I can kind of say it because the ring... For our listeners, we
0: should note that I said this over at the forums.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm no sorry. Way. I, I should have said that. But, uh, yeah, but I can kind of excuse it because the ring was about to die. Right. so. <laughs> but overall, it was it was really cool. I liked uh, Sinestra's voice actor who I, I don't know who did his voice. They didn't say at the end of the episode, but I thought he was really good. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was really enjoyable. I'm glad that they're putting they're bringing in a lot of uh outside dc heroes into the into this series i think it's making this it's it's increasing the enjoy enjoyability of the series as a whole
0: yeah i i've been a fan of this series since the beginning i haven't seen every episode i'm not going to pretend i have but every a lot of people were hating on it before it even aired because oh my god it wasn't batman the animated series how dare they and it's like Okay, sure, the Joker looks weird, and there's some anime influences when it comes to the designs, but in terms of storytelling and animation, it's really good. And from what I can tell, it's getting a whole hell of a lot better, too. So I was really psyched for this episode, and it did not let me down in the slightest. I mean, yeah, I was a little... You know, from a fanboy perspective, I was a little irked that Batman didn't do something super cool with the ring. I mean, he did use it, but just not, you know. I would, Basically, I just wanted to see his design change in some regard, you know. Not necessarily put him in a Green Lantern suit, but maybe give him, like, some Green Lantern bat wings or something. Um, so that was, you know, from a fanboy's perspective, that kind of irked me. And then the other thing was Robin sounds, like, way too old.
1: Yes, he does.
0: Now, was I mistaken, or did it say that he was attending a high school? I could have sworn that Alfred um, pulled up it said, like, Gotham Central High or whatever.
1: Yeah, but and, and he could be, still be 14 years old, though, and be in high school.
0: Yeah, but I, well, so. he looks so tiny. I kind of got the idea that he was, like, 11 or 12, if not he younger. He does look
1: very, very young. He does look very young. So
0: that was just, the high school thing just made me scratch my head and wonder how old he was. But, yeah, the voice thing, good voice actor, just, I don't know, it sounds like he's, like, 20, (laughs) not a teenager or a 12-year-old or whatever he's supposed to be. But uh, if you guys haven't caught this one yet, even if you've never seen an episode of The Batman before, do yourself a favor and look for reruns. I mean, this is, it was kick-ass. I mean, let me put it to you this way, in case... You didn't see a preview. You didn't read anything online about the episode. I'm going to give you the synopsis. And this isn't spoiling anything because this is literally the synopsis that Warner Brothers sent around. Green Lantern visits Batman to try to track down Sinestro. In the process, Sinestro jumps Green Lantern and Green Lantern tries to send his ring to Batman to get it away from Sinestro. The ring, however, is intercepted by the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we get the penguin with the ring fighting Batman and Sinestro. <laughs> I mean, it's so much fun. It's, it's so wild. Do yourselves a favor, people, and go check out this episode. Oh, and the next one looks good, too. It's got the Joker somehow gets, oh, what's he do? His, his brainwaves get implanted in nanites, and he ends up taking over a computer system. And I've seen some preview art for it, which I'll actually post at the Earth2.net forums um, the day this episode uh, goes up. So that would be Wednesday, the 12th. Um, there's a screenshot or a screen cap of Robin playing a video game. It's like a fighting game. And one of the characters that he's using, one of the avatars in the game, is Nightwing. and it's the old George Perez Nightwing costume with the open chest and the high collar that really gaudy kind of 70's costume Mm -hmm. (laughs) it it looks really fun I mean the Joker getting control of Gotham's computer network that's going to be cool (laughs) oh no (laughs) and the rumor (laughs) is and pardon me if this is spoiling it for you guys but the rumor is that the series or not the series the season finale uh, for this year is actually going to feature the entire Justice League Uh, To Mm -hmm. date, you know, we've seen Superman. I think we've seen the Manhunter. We've seen Green Lantern, obviously. I think we're getting Green Arrow forthcoming. Um, I think we've seen The Flash, but I could be wrong about that. But at the end, we're supposedly going to see the entire league. So that's something to look forward to, too, because I think this was episode 10 or 11, so that finale is coming up quick. Yep. So, cool. Anyways, enough of me uh, kissing (laughs) the Batman's ass. Do you want to get in some emails here? Oh, sure. Okay.
1: Let's see, our first one is from Doug. He writes, Hey guys, here's what I think would be cool for Bane's background in a Nolan-directed Batman movie. Bane in a Nolan film could work out like this. He was super strong and almost and an almost insane inmate and was picked for this project to be ex- being experimented on. When we see him, he has a small box attached to his belt with a single needle in the side of his torso like a pump for people with diabetes. When he I th- Maybe he means kidney dialysis, I don't know. Uh, when he pushes it uh, when he pushes a button the drug goes into his bloodstream, but the catch is the drug boosts his endurance and stamina instead of making him ridiculously strong I, i'm not i'm not really keen on that honestly because I just don't think the audience would buy it yeah and it, it just wouldn't be and it wouldn't be visually appealing
0: no no i'm so. still of the opinion that if you're that vein shouldn't be done for one, but if they're going to attempt to do him. It really should be in a Captain America-like fashion. He was tested on and tested on. He had serums. You know, he got some radiation treatment in that kind of comic booky way. They, they could do something else. They don't have to say it's radiation if they don't want to. He did an extensive training, and he bulked up. So there were steroids. They could call it venom if they wanted to, involved in this whole process. But the whole idea of having pumps and wires attached to him, it just doesn't work for me. I don't like it, and it provides Batman an all too convenient way to beat him. I, yeah. I, again, I just, I just don't know if it would work any any other way. And frankly, I just don't think Bane should really be up there. There's so many other villains, better villains that that would work in a more realistic setting than than Bane
2: would.
1: Okay. And our next email is from Stuart, aka Mixie. Yes. Right. This is Mixie from the forums. Glad we we get an email from him here. He says, "Here's my thing on Van Dorn from uh, Trial, of course. I wrote, and here's my thing on Van Dorn that I wrote in response to episode 15. If you want to read it, so that the guy can <laughs> learn his errors." <laughs> <laughs> Janet Van Dorn is an embarrassment of a character. What I think of her, what I think of as her comic book counterpart, the anti-Batman Commissioner Ellen Yendell from Dark Knight Returns, has far more valid and reasonable criticisms against the Dark Knight. Van Dorn has nothing more than her own personal claims, which were embarrassing to listen to. As soon as she listed Two-Face among those Batman created, I wondered if Deanie was keeping in mind the origin of the character, that it was Rupert Thorne who caused everything, and if there was a lack of evidence in the first place, it's still documented that Two-Face, the Two-Face personality lived in Harvey his entire life. Even if the episode wasn't big on continuity, Janet is still portrayed very ignorantly for my tastes. The scene in Arkham in which she has a change of heart is cringeworthy. Hey, that's that's my line. If you recall, she realizes the criminals changed themselves as soon as she apparently starts to remember the facts of what actually happened. It's almost as if she says, wait a minute, let me just remember that Matt had her kidnapped an innocent girl, hardly fell under Joker's manipulation, Poison Ivy was an insane activist, etc., 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 all before Batman. Even though all of this information has always been in my brain and the inmates here said nothing to convince me, I still for some reason use my non-factual theories to justify a disdain for Batman. Silly me. Now that I bother to rack my brain for the facts, I guess Batman's off the hook. It makes her early, earlier position on Batman seem incompetent and embarrassing. Amen. Yeah, that's
0: pretty much the end of that. So, <laughs> yeah, if anybody else has, thinks they have an argument that can refute Mixie's argument...
1: Send it in
0: and we'll read it, but I don't see that happening.
1: Okay, and our next email is from Jake. He writes, Hey guys, I was listening to your latest podcast and I had to chuckle about the discussion on how females who turn into monsters manage to keep their naughty bits covered. But I hate to break it to you, when it comes to Francine Langstrom turning into She-Bat, or Man-Bat-Woman as I call her, it's another instant where those wacky sensors sort of drop the ball. While it's true her shirt remained relatively intact during her fight with Batman, if you go back and watch the very first scene of the episode, it shows her in her... Uh, bat form, stealing fruit from a truck, completely bare-chested. Yeah, I realize the animators did this to keep the twist from being revealed too early, but knowing afterwards it's really Francine and then ha- then to have a very tight shot where she's roaring with her chest sticking out, nipples completely in the open. Well, it's hard to word this without sounding like a pervert, but yeah, it's full frontal <laughs> bat nudity. <laughs>
2: Oi!
1: <Oy>. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I, I thought,
0: was she not wearing a shirt in that first scene?
1: No, she wasn't. Wow. She wasn't. He's right. He's absolutely right.
0: Well... Okay,
1: then. <laughs> I didn't want to remember that, but yeah, he's now, right.
0: See, the thing is, even if Man Bat, ha- or in this case, female Bat or Man Bat woman, or whatever we're calling her, was wearing a shirt in that scene, I don't think it would have been a giveaway that it was Francine. It just means. Especially
1: if it was just a white just a white shirt. Right, exactly. You know, or just, just a white piece of right, cloth. It's
0: a t shirt. It's something that got torn up. It doesn't have to look like a blouse. Um. So yeah, I I understand what they were doing. He is right. They were trying to twist us, swerve us, whatever. But they could have left it on very easily, and no one would have suspected that it wasn't. Uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Kirk? Kurt?
2: Kirk
1: yeah, Langstrom? Yeah. yeah.
0: So. But you. And he goes on to Oh, I'm No, sorry. I was going to say full frontal bad nudity. My God. You're uh, a pervert, anyway, yeah, anyway, yes,
1: yes, moving on, moving on. <laughs> Before I go, I do have a question that hasn't been brought up. Given that you'll be covering Gotham Girls someday, I was wondering if you'll also be taking a look at certain video games that were tied to the DCAU, specifically The Adventures of Batman and Robin for Sega CD, Batman Vengeance, and Batman Rise of Sin Tzu. All three contained the main voice talents and had cinemas, cinematics that were either com- completely done in animation or computer generated. Honestly, I would guess that they'd be awkward to review, but nevertheless, I'm curious. If the two of you would consider them part of continuity, keep up the great work, and have a wonderful holiday. What
2: you, Likewise. What do you feel about that, James?
1: That's a really good question because Sin, like uh, specifically, was created was created in that video game. It was obviously never came up in the DCAU, but they are in, they are in continuity. Yeah. So that that's a really good question.
0: The one reason I'm sort of against doing the video games it's because We're focusing strictly on animation. Yes, video games are animated, but it's a much different thing to sit down and watch a cartoon for 22 minutes than it is to play a game for hours on end. One's passive and the other one you're actively involved in.
1: All right. Well, our next email is from Nick. Uh... The question, Mike and James, is Have you seen the Batman fan films Dead End and Bat in the Sun films? Most notably, uh, one, most notable one, Patient J. Uh, if so, what are your opinions? And he gives us links. Um, I have seen, I had seen Dead End before. I haven't seen Bat in the Sun. But... What
0: the hell is Bat in the Sun? I haven't even heard of that one, I
1: think. No, I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to tell you, I haven't had time to look at it today. Um, but, uh, I know Dead End is like, it's like an alien predator. Batman yeah that's wild and it really is it, whoever whoever put it together sunny Son, i don't i forgive me I can't remember her last name Sonny something wow i mean just wow that that was some great cinematography uh, the uh, i thought the acting was uh it was it was pretty good for the most part there were there were parts of it just little parts of it where I was like ah, joker's no. a little
0: too over the top for me in that one,
1: yeah. But um, overall, uh, yeah, Dead End—it's it, it's a great fan film. D- definitely, I, I loved—I loved it uh, in that regard. So, but I, I can't comment on that in the sun because I haven't watched it.
0: Now, there was one fan film that I saw. It's a really long. Um, I want to say it's like somewhere between. This is a big range, so pardon me, guys. I want to say it's somewhere between like twenty and forty minutes long, um, <laughs> and it's so terrible. Batman, okay, I'm trying to remember, I think he gets shocked or something, and some hood finds him, and he ends up tying Batman to a chair, and he's like, he's trying to get the Batman's head, and he's like, what, you don't remember me? And eventually he reveals to Batman that Batman busted him like years ago. And now this guy just got out of jail, and of course his life's shit, because, well, he was in jail, and it's hard for him to get a job, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in the process, you know, this guy reveals that he got hooked on heroin while he was in jail, or maybe after jail, I don't quite remember, because it was so damn bad. Um, And he ends up, with Batman tied to this chair, he ends up shooting Batman up with heroin, so he makes Batman a heroin addict. What this kid ends up revealing to Batman is that he... Oh, you know what it was? I'll tell you how Batman was captured. The guy used a taser to Batman's balls.
1: My silence says enough. Yes, he
0: took a taser and he shocked Batman in the nuts with it. That's how he captured him. Okay, so pardon me. So anyways, he ends up revealing that when Batman captured him, um the guy was he was supposedly standing on a street corner where a robbery took place or something, and he was an innocent bystander. Batman assumed that this guy was part of the crime, so he beat him up and arrested him, I guess. And then the police and the DA never actually investigated this crime that he was supposedly part of, and they just threw him in jail for a couple of years. Like, okay, there's so many holes in that plot, I don't (laughs) even know where to begin. So this guy ends up killing himself at the end, if I remember correctly, because he just wanted to get into Batman's head. Now, mind you, we should note that Batman was captured for something like, I think like a month or something. This guy just keeps him in this room for this long time, never takes his fucking mask off. Um, yeah. And Batman ends up getting free somehow. I don't quite remember how, after this kid kills himself. And um, Batman is so distraught that he ruined this young man's life by sending him to jail. Batman kills himself. And that's the end of the film. That's a so-called Batman <laughs> fan oh, no. film. That, again, the filmmaker of that, I give him credit for trying to make a film. Fine, that's great. But he does not understand the character in the slightest at all. <laughs> it's know. terrible. Oh, and it's, Maybe someone can write in with the name of that one. Like I said, maybe it is Bat in the Sun. I, I don't know, but... It's so long and it's so boring and it gets nothing about the character or anything at all. Oh. If you want to torture yourself, find it. I found it on YouTube. Maybe it's still up there. Just type in Batman fan film and you'll come across that piece of abortion. Oh, can we move on? <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe if, oh man, maybe I need to watch this for a tranquil tirade. <laughs> uh, that would be but awesome. Maybe, but <laughs> oh my God. I Seriously, I'm, I can't stop laughing uh-huh. here. Uh, okay, we have another email from Doug. Let's see. He writes, "What would you do without me?" Um, now, for the Joker, that acid tank that he supposedly fell into not only made his skin bleach, but his brain has also evolved. When he became the Joker, he threw away he, his mind threw away all impor- unimportant stuff such as math and common sense, but kept all his crappy jokes and plans. And when he gets hit, he loses an IQ point. The plan moves to an unused brain cell. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's an interesting explanation, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, he also wrote that uh, he thinks Batman will not lose IQ points from blows to the head. Which is and... something
0: we brought up in the last episode.
1: Right, right. Because he is the god of thunder, <laughs> master telepathist, and a plane wrestler. <laughs> he is also possessor of regenerative, regenerative powers, excuse me, and able to withstand toxic waste. I can't think of anything else, but I'm sure I'll be writing in and if I If I don't, don't sue me. <laughs>
0: You know, that's a good point. When a man can survive, you know, a toxic waste dump and all that other stuff he listed, and wrestle a plane, of course, you know, sure. Yeah, blows to the head aren't going to dumb him down. Okay, I buy that for a dollar.
1: (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Okay, and our next email is from Chris, who's written us several times. Hey, guys, a few thoughts on episode 16 in... Harley Quinade, Quinade, whichever you want to pronounce it, You raised the good question of why didn't the Joker just press the button. I I agree that it seemed as though he was waiting for something. I think he was waiting for an idea. Granted, blowing up Gotham is random, but it's just not funny. There's no signature line, and Joker's all about the ego. His ego gets him in trouble again and again. I can believe that he dithered because he was trying to come up with some way to say Joker was here as in return of the joker when he was planning on blasting the city with the satellite weapon in the shape of a smiley face all uh, on, the, on over the whole city that that's a great explanation right there actually um yeah i i i i like that explanation a lot um he goes on to say, in time out of joint, Mike asked how flash hits people with, without atomic explosions. As an aside, collisions at near light speed don't actually result in a nuclear reaction, obviously, but because the kinetic energy is so high, the energy released can be comparable. This was addressed in several ways. One explanation has been that the aura that protects him from friction cushions the blow. Several authors have written him frequently fracturing his wrist or hand if he isn't careful, then relying on his high-speed metabolism to fix the damage. In Flash Volume 2, around issue 146 or 47, due to time travel, he's facing someone, the reverse flash, he knows will survive the fight, so he lets loose and throws a punch at just under light speed, with not only the velocity, but also the mass of his fist increasing along due to the relativistic effects. He made a comment in the thought bubble that he always wanted to try it, but was always afraid to kill someone, suggesting that he, that he times and pulls his punches carefully most of the time to prevent the sort of things Mike was talking about. Cool. Okay. <laughs> <You know>. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice having uh, a scientist explaining these yeah, things. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You
2: know,
0: because <laughs> I know if we uh, say something stupid about science, Chris will just write in and be like, "No, no, 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 no. Here's the way it would actually be." And you know, then I just exactly. say, "Okay, I was wrong." You know,
1: and that's, we'll be, we will gladly correct ourselves because yeah. we don't want to be. We don't want to be stupid. Right. <laughs> in Catwalk, in regards to the comment Veronica made about throwing a party without the kooks, I agree with Mike that this was funny. As to James' complaint, I just took it as evidence that Veronica doesn't, just doesn't learn to take responsibility for things. If she did, she wouldn't be nearly as enter- entertaining. Well, my problem is I don't want her to be entertaining. She's, she's supposed to be somebody you should hate to look at every time because she caused the penguin to be reborn. I'm sorry, I'm not ranting at you, Chris. I'm really not. It's just that really, that whole thing just pissed me off. <laughs> anyway, as to Bane, I think that a big part of why he's such a compelling villain is that between his intelligence, his preference for gathering information and planning before an attack, and of course his physical prowess, he's one of those villains who, like Rachel Gould, can meet Batman on several different levels, making him a much more challenging foe, which in turn leads leads to more interesting stories. Can you really see the Sewer King from Underdwell is posing that much of a challenge to Batman? Of course not. That's why he's surrounded by children. The challenge isn't for Batman to beat Sewer King. It's to beat him without innocence being injured. Bane, like Raish, is a much more direct threat to Batman. Again, great job, guys. Until next time, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. And that's it for emails.
0: So our first episode today is Baby Doll. And in this one, there's a uh, woman in her 30s who suffers from a very rare disease that's not unlike uh, the same kind of uh, disease that Gary Coleman and uh, Webster. What the hell was Webster's name?
1: God, I don't remember. Emmanuel Lewis. Emmanuel Lewis. There you that's
0: go. It. It, it's not unlike the disease they had that keeps them um, very young looking, very small, despite the fact that, you know, they are actually grown men. And she grew up in front of the camera you know, her whole life, and eventually her television show got canceled, and she couldn't take it. She, she snapped, and in this episode, she goes and she kidnaps her old co-stars to try to uh, regain that fictional life that she once had, and uh, part of that uh, life is, that, that she wants back is a birthday party that was ruined by one of her co-stars years and years ago. And uh, of course, it's up to Batman and Robin to step in and uh, save all these people and bring in Baby Dow. So, James, thoughts?
1: You know, I've talked to you about this episode briefly on numerous occasions off the air about how when I first watched it, I, I couldn't stand it. But going back and watching it again, it really has some of the best character development of any episode. In the series, um, so I definitely have to give it props there, and uh, the animation is for the most part very, very good. The shadow, the use of shadows, uh, is among the best I've seen yet in this series.
0: Yeah, one of my notes says cool lighting effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some really nice use of them. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the voice acting is fantastic. I can't, I can't remember how her name is pronounced. Allison Laplaca. Or Laplaca, who who did the voice of Baby Doll, okay. was fantastic, uh, especially in her the final monologue of the show, which is such a sad scene. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised watching going back and watching this episode again to see that hey, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I wasn't sure what to expect out of this one. You know, I I knew, you know. I didn't remember disliking this one, but I didn't remember really liking this one either. It was just sort of there. And uh, upon watching it, I'm like, you know, she's not a Two-Face. She's not a Mr. Freeze. But they really did a good job developing this silly character into a pretty sympathetic villain.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, when it comes to Two-Face and when it comes to Mr. Freeze, you can side with them. You understand why they're doing what they're doing. With her, you don't necessarily side with her, but you do start to feel bad for her. At least I think so.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's it's a really, really creepy episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a good way. You know, it's... You know, the... she Baby doll, the character, goes through all these mood swings back and forth, and it's... You know, every now and then you get to see the, uh, the, the middle-aged woman trapped in the child's body mm-hmm. come out, you know like when when they're they're they, she's kidnapped most of her co-stars and she's t- talking to them under, in that in the spotlight in the middle of that st- uh <laughs> abandoned television studio yeah. so it, that that goes back to the voice acting which I really liked it was back and forth with the you know the little I don't know 5 6 year old kid to the 35 year old woman or however old she was I think she was 30 or 35 Yeah, but it was, but yeah. yeah back and forth and back and forth it was really really well done uh, another thing about that evolves in this episode is the music. It starts off really kind of cheesy, goofy, but then it, it it gets, even it evolves as, it, as the episode goes along.
0: It did it. I didn't pick up on that.
1: Yeah, it seems like it's the same music, but it gets a little, maybe a little slower, and it, it, they add a few instruments to it here and there. That's cool. And and to when you get to the end, and she and is in is in the House of Mirrors crying and shooting all the mirrors, the... It's the same music from the beginning, but it's a lot darker. Mm. So I, re- I thought that was really cool, too.
0: I may have to re-watch it for that. Um, while we're speaking about the ending, at least I hope you don't mind me speaking about the ending. Oh, no, go the, ahead. You know, that ending is very creepy. Absolutely. I mean, she's, she's got that little puppet, that little doll that, of course, fires bullets out of its one eye. And, you know, she's shooting all the mirrors. And, you know, she's shooting Batman, She thinks she's shooting Batman at that point, but when she finally sees her older self, what she probably would have looked like if she didn't suffer from this condition, um, she she blows that mirror away, too, after staring at it longingly. And, I mean, she's essentially killing herself, is what she's doing in that final moment of this episode. And that's rough. I mean, I completely forgot about that ending until they were in the, the Hall of Mirrors. Once they got in there, it all came flooding back, and I'm like, "Oh man!" And I wanted to see if it still resonated with me, and it did even more so. I think now that you know I'm a I'm a grown man, you know more so than it did when I was a teenager. And ooh, that's I, Plus. you know, in the past, I've spoken about how did the how did they get away with this? How did they get away with that? And this is another one of those moments where, you know, I I, I don't know if they had to fight for this ending or the censors didn't take. Uh, issue with it or what was going on but there's no way to deny that she killed herself in that ending at least in in F- an effigy right basically. exactly exactly
1: it's especially sad because you you think back to what sh- she really just wanted to be a, a serious dramatic actor mm-hmm. and you know sh- they say that she it was her fault that the show got cancelled in the first place but you know it seems to me that in a way she did realize her mistake and she she really did want to relive that life again on and as baby doll in the camp uh, under the lights and everything but you know they show you a video of her uh in uh what is it macbeth so she wanted to be a serious dramatic actor too which you can certainly sympathize with there's so many young actors out there that want to be want to be that person who want to be a serious, dramatic actor, but then they have to take these... If they get a role at all, they have to take some menial role or something that's really just beneath them, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. So... And she kind of got that chance, but it flopped miserably, and, uh, you know, as somebody who acted for a, quite a few years, it I, you know, resonates with me. I understand how it feels. <laughs> yeah. And
0: uh, not, not to lighten it up here, because uh, it's a pretty serious discussion so far, but I really appreciate Robin's reaction to whenever he sees her acting, yeah. because they, they, they see, we see her acting in Commissioner Gordon's office, and then we see some more in the Batcave when they're looking at some more films, and he's just like, P.U.
1: <laughs> That's what the critics said. Yeah,
0: and it's it's hilarious. I mean, Jenny was watching this episode with me, and she started cracking up at it, too. Um, you know, it, I just thought it was a nice, lighthearted moment to an episode... That though it has these cartoony moments to it and cartoony sound effects to it, really does get dark as you get deeper and deeper into the episode.
1: Uh huh. Um, you know, th- th- another thing that's kind of cool about this is Batman when he's going through the uh, carnival, he's using his mystique and his you know quote unquote fame to attract attention, yeah, to draw baby doll out into the open. I thought that was kind of cool. I don't think he's done that yet, has he? No,
0: and I think the reason he did it here is because he was playing a head game with her. If you remember, Mm -hmm. why did she end the show? It's because her cousin, quote-unquote on-screen cousin, was upstaging her. Batman did just that. He upstaged Mm -hmm. her, and she couldn't take that. He was playing head games with her, and that's not something we see Batman do with a lot of his villains. I mean, we'll see it again later in this episode. Not this episode, not Baby Doll, but later in this episode of World's Finest Podcast, he plays head games with another villain, if you remember mm-hmm. correctly. But right. uh, to date, it's normally just punch him in the face, do this and that. But here, yeah. I mean, because really, that's what he has to do with her. I mean, she might be a 30 year old woman. She might have a gun, but she still looks like a toddler.
1: So you can't very well punch her or right, anything. I mean,
0: he does inflict some violence on her. At one point, he throws a water gun. No, he throws a doll at her, knocking her away from the water gun
1: and he like he flips her out off of a table. Right.
0: Yeah, so he's not you know, he's not against hurting her but he never physically lays a hand on her to harm her. If you understand <laughs> where I'm coming from and that was very th- that very clearly was the uh you know the 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 producers the directors the writers of this episode saying okay we have to tread lightly here so how can batman beat this villain i know let's have him get inside her head cuz that's what this whole episode's about it's all about you know baby doll's
1: psyche right and and of course to fill the requisite action they have the uh uh karate bodyguard yeah i <laughs> woman, love her i love her miriam <laughs>
0: What's the, what was that one part where Robin said something like, uh, "How can you do this?" And she says, "Like it's a living." Or, "Jeez,
1: lady, you're good." Yeah,
0: said, <laughs> it's,
1: it's a, it's a living. living.
0: Yeah, that was that was good. <laughs> um, speaking of her, I liked her design because you know she's just in her, you know, she's all business, but then she's you know ass kicking. But I liked what I really liked about her was her anime ish glasses, where they're very opaque.
1: Yeah, and you can't see the the eyeballs. Yeah,
0: I I always like that design, be it in anime or in uh, Western animation or comic books or whenever I see that. Hell, did you see Sin City the movie, James? Yes, I did. Remember, Toby McGuire's character in there was like that. We never mm-hmm. saw through his glasses, and that's the exact. You way mean it... Elijah Wood? Did I say? Oh, you're right, Elijah Wood. Sorry. I always yeah. get those two confused. I uh, sorry about that, but um, that's the exact way the character was portrayed in the comic book as well. And there's just something about that. It's a very uh, stylized look, and here I thought they pulled it off well.
1: Mm-hmm. I th- did uh, did maybe it all not kind of remind you of Elmira from Tiny Toons? Very much so, absolutely. Yeah, just, I I have to think that somebody in that animation crew was working on this episode, mm-hmm. or somebody.
0: Yeah, I mean, in voice, in action, in almost everything she did,
1: mannerisms, and, yeah. Yeah. everything.
0: I mean, they pretty much just lifted Elmira, slightly changed her design. You know, gave her a completely different psyche, of course, but it, it, it's her. That's her.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and another th- another thing I I kind of uh, looked at was uh, Batman and Robin in Summer Gleason's office. It made me re- it reminded me of uh, Bullet for Bullock with Bullock. <laughs> completely different kind of conversation here yeah. <laughs> with with Batman and Robin speaking to her as opposed to Bullock speaking to her earlier. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Just just a little bit uh, better conversation here than. Than Bullock had.
0: Yeah, it's like Bullock. Why don't you uh, watch this and uh, you know take notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, another thing that was kind of uh, strange, that kind of harkened back to a previous episode, was the very last episode that we reviewed was Bane. You go from Bane to Baby Doll. Mm-hmm. Hmm, kind of different.
2: <laughs> yes, I would say so. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> no, that's like they couldn't have. Pick two more different villains yeah. to go back-to-back episodes with, at least production-wise. Right now, because I don't know which episode actually came first on on air. Right. So.
0: Right, because of course, again, production number with us here. Um, you know, while we're talking about the villains, uh, you know, I do appreciate them trying something new in a villain. Just not going back. To the Riddler and the Penguin and Two-Face and all these villains we've seen, you know, many times before. The fact that they tried to introduce a new character, you know, I, I applaud them for that. Because last time they tried to do it, excluding Bane, okay, so the second, I think the second to last time they did it, we got um, Maxie Zeus. If you think about it. Uh, yeah, so, I believe so, yeah. So it's it's sort of like, you know, okay, hit and miss, they failed at one, but at least they succeeded in, in, in this one, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this, this, if you remember what I was saying about Zeus, is that he could have been a good character, it could have been a great episode, but the problem was, I didn't feel that they really got into his head, where here, they get in the baby doll's head, that's why this episode succeeds, that's why it's, you know, that's why it stands out, head and shoulders above that one.
1: I know we were speaking about Miriam a minute ago. I wanted to ask, couldn't she have found a better outfit to like run around and jump and fly around than that
0: <laughs> well she you know she's got to look conspicuous or inconspicuous. Well, she does sorry, well, sorry, she, inconspicuous. Oh, yeah. well she
1: does, but it's uh it's kind of weird you're flying around with just a you know this a uh, business suit and skirt on
0: well see, <laughs> that's part of the distraction while she's you know while she's doing a jump kick to you, you might be looking up her skirt you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I get, well, it's a distraction, I guess. It's
0: like, hey, lady, you're not wearing any panties. Thud. Oh, damn! It. You know?
1: Oh, my eye!
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: oh, that's the last time you'll see that. Oh, uh, but we know that uh, those guys from the terrible trio wouldn't be doing that. Exactly. <laughs> I just had to bring it up yeah, one more time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, was it just me or did Baby Doll's goons, remember she not only did she have Marion but she also had those two goons? Did they uh-huh. look like the Gilligan like Gilligan y- and the yes. <laughs> yes. I never noticed that before and I'm watching this episode and I saw the one in the red shirt and the white hat and I'm like that's Gilligan. Gilligan. Oh, yes, it is. And then I see the is. other one, and he's heavier, and he's in a dark shirt. I believe it was a blue shirt, and he had a hat on, too. I'm like, that's the Skipper. The Skipper. It's <laughs> like, that's so cool. I mean, because this whole episode is all about TV shows. I mean, the, the whole thing with the introduction of the, the cousin. What was the cousin's name in here? Cousin Spunky, right? He mm-hmm. is. He's basically a stand-in for Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch, which is pretty much what killed that show. Yep. You know, so we have that going on. Uh, One of the abductees, her name is um, June, which, of course, is June Cleaver.
1: Cleaver, right. Right.
0: Um, I'm not sure if the other actors or their names were supposed to be significant, but, you know, there are several hints at other television shows, real television shows in our world throughout this episode. So it wouldn't surprise me if those other characters are supposed to be stand-ins for people we should know.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Baby Doll's character herself is taken from... Uh, Baby Jane Hudson from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that.
1: So there's another one. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's full of just 50s and 60s TV references. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, now th- there's something I have to bring up, and I hesitate t- to bring this up, but I have to. I absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. Remember when the whole family gets back together? Everybody's at the table, and uh, Baby Doll brings in Buster, the the dog. And uh, it's, it's on that little sled. It's obviously passed away, and it's now been stuffed. Twice, they re- or at least once, I want to say twice, they referred to Buster as a he, but it has nipples.
2: And I'm sorry, I, I, I noticed Notice.
0: that, but it very clearly was a female dog, but they kept referring to it as a her. Now, someone could claim that it was just a female dog that she found in the props department, And they were just referring to it as Buster, the dog from the old show. But I don't agree with that, and I'll tell you why. Babydoll is so obsessed with bringing this family back together that she would do everything she could to find the Buster from her youth, from when she was on the show. So that would mean she would actually find that dog and have it stuffed or whatever. So it should have been a boy and not a girl. Oh, Again, that's... sorry I noticed that, but it, I mean the nipples are right there.
1: <laughs> well, it's, the thing is, though, that dog would have been how old by that time that she, uh, Mary Louise Dahl was uh, abducting all these people? That dog would have been rotting in the ground or something. Well,
0: okay, the show... Okay, they said she was 20 when she was doing the television show.
1: 30 when she started abducting. Right, all so
0: people. it's been 10 years. So if the dog was just a puppy when they were... Like right at the end of the show, okay, put it this way think, think about this. You know, there wasn't one lassie, there were several lassies. Right. So there could have been several busters. And this could have been the last buster who was just a puppy who was much younger, maybe two or three years old, when the show was ending. So if it's been another 10 years, it's not inconceivable for that dog to have just died, to have gotten to be about 12 or 13 years old, passed away. She had it stuffed, and now she's got it on its little skateboardy-like
1: plank. I suppose. It's just kind of hard to f- figure out how, like, how Dahl would figure out where this dog that used to be on a TV show is. She, I, I don't, don't know. It, it
0: sounds weird that we're trying to figure out what a cartoon character was doing with, with a dead dog, but... <laughs> you know, for, this
1: is this is the kind of stuff you get on World's Finest Podcast, folks. Exactly.
0: <laughs> for all we know, God damn it. for all we know, <laughs> she... That could have been her dog. Maybe when the show ended she adopted it or something you see what i'm saying maybe i mean it... <laughs> let's move on i don't want to talk about this yeah, dog let's... and nipples and it rotting in the <laughs> grave anymore <laughs> <laughs> what else about this episode do you want to bring up
1: <laughs> um i don't i don't know i just I, I don't have really any negative notes except for maybe one little nitpick uh when uh batman and robin uh bust onto the scene where I, what's the girl's name that's being abducted there. Um, I
0: don't remember, but I know what you're talking uh, about Tammy. Okay,
1: Tammy Vance. Okay, when she's being abducted and there's all the gunfire and everything there, and mm-hmm. Robin, Buck, you know, breaks onto the scene and says the l- lady asked you a question, creep or whatever he says. Doll later on, like a, a minute or two later, is shown bouncing a ball around and throwing it into the street, and you know, the Batmobile. They, they, they uh, Batman uses the remote to swerve the Batmobile out of the way. Seconds later, Miriam, you know, picks her up, pretending to be her mother, and she then throws the same ball down, and it bursts into, into like tear gas or something. Oh. So it seems to me that that thing probably should have busted open earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's but that's about it as far as I have for negative things about this episode.
0: Well, I, I see what you're saying there. I didn't pick up on that. That's a that's a good catch. Um, I actually have some some negative things that I have to get off my chest. The first being. Mm-hmm that when this episode starts it gets better later on but when this episode starts the lip syncing, syncing is pretty bad i i mean i was remember if i'm noticing lip syncing it's got to be pretty bad did you not notice this
1: i i didn't make a note of it i guess i was just not paying attention to it for some reason yeah
0: i mean particularly when it comes to batman it just and maybe gordon too i'm trying to remember but batman for sure it was just off and it just it just was a little irksome and I, it set a tone uh, I felt for this episode, at least for the first couple of minutes of this episode, I was like, oh man, this is going to suck. But then, like I said, it kind of, it got much better, so I kind of forgot about the lip syncing. I mean, that was literally the first note I wrote down, so it had to be something that happened very early on.
1: Well, I'll take your word for it.
0: Um, now, you're talking about the gunfight uh, with where Robin appears, and what did you say her name was? Tammy?
1: Tammy, yeah, the, the, who played the sister, the older sister on the show.
0: Right, now, there's a problem with that. Um, I think it was that gunfight because, wait, they're at the theater because it starts out with Batman and Robin go to the theater and don't they go back to the theater? Or do they only go to the theater once?
1: They only go to the theater once because uh, Brian, the first guy to get kidnapped, or maybe the third, they didn't show the parents mm-hmm. being kidnapped. So we'll just, uh, for the sake of arguing, we'll say he's the third to be mm-hmm. kidnapped. Uh, he finds Dahl in an alley. Right, and, yeah. And then. But Batman and Robin never appear at that point. That's just... That was completely done in secret.
0: Right. You're, you're right. Because what happens is they have police guard on the... What would be the, the daughter of the family. Right. And Baby Doll... After
1: he gets kidnapped. After he got kidnapped. Right.
0: Yeah. Baby Doll and her crew go to get them. They hear over the radio that uh, there's an attempt on this woman. That, yeah. Th-
1: Bullock is the one calling it in.
0: Right. Now, he calls it in. We cut to the... We... Like... He's calling it in, and we're, we're inside the police headquarters with Gordon and Batman and Robin. And then they cut to, to Bullock, and he's still calling it in. He's on the, the CB from the car. And not a second later, Robin swings into frame. So where is the theater in relation to the police headquarters? Or does Robin still have that time-traveling thing device? <laughs> You see what I'm don't saying? Know.
2: Yeah, it's I, like, I just...
0: its not like Harvey hung it up and there was a gunfight for two minutes. I mean, he's still talking on it when, or maybe he just hangs it up when Robin swings in. But it's like a second. Robin's there almost instantly, and you know, sure, you could claim the police station was maybe right across the street, but it just was a little bothersome that Batman and Robin got there so damn quickly.
1: Yeah, that would be—that would be kind of a cop out for to say, "Oh, well, it's just right there within a block."
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and now, of course, during that sequence, you mentioned that, uh, baby doll is picked up by Miriam and she's like, my baby, my baby. And then the ball bursts in the gas. Well, everything after she
1: slams it on the ground, right?
0: Everything's going to hell. You know, civilians are running one way. Miriam's running this way. The police are doing this. Batman and Robin are doing that. Robin grabs Harvey freaking 300 pound Bullock and is like, I got them. Thinking that it was a woman who weighed no more than a buck ten, do you see what I'm <laughs> saying? There, there's yeah. no way Robin would get his arms around the barrel-chested Harvey Bullock and think it was the stick-thin Miriam. It's like how stupid is Robin? It that was, that was absolutely irksome. I. I mean, I really have to take a point off this episode for that because it just shows that Robin has no common sense. The hugging, <laughs> you know, when when I hug my dad, who's would probably, you know, he's he's probably taller than Bullock is, but he's about the same thickness as Bullock. OK, I know that I'm hugging my dad when I hug Jenny, who's much, 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 much smaller than my father. I know that I'm hugging Jenny. So Robin should know the same, that when he's apprehending someone, yeah, he, he should pretty much know by feel that it's not a very small
1: woman. <laughs> Maybe it was the man boobs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's just feeling them up. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh.
0: Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I did like Bullock's uh, reaction to Robin uh, groping him. What did he say? Like,
1: <laughs> it's me, dope. yeah.
0: That was really that was another good like. And that was, again. Jenny was watching this episode with me. She laughed at that too because it's a funny line. So it, it kind of that
1: kind of kind of <laughs> yeah. sort of makes up not completely, yeah. but kind of sort of makes up for it because he calls him a, the right. dirt that he is.
0: Exactly, I, exactly. Um, and I think the last negative I want to say about this one, and maybe it's not a negative, okay, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. This goes back to the scene where they're at the carnival, and Batman swings onto the top of that one uh, concession stand. He clearly throws the grappling gun away. He doesn't tuck it into his belt. I mean, very clearly, he throws it behind him. Let's go of it. But then, 30 seconds later, after the crowds uh, all come to gawk at him, and Dahl is running away, and he's got a clear sight on her, he pulls out another grappling gun and goes after her. So how many of these things does he carry on him?
1: I have to assume he carries several because in, uh, I've seen, we've had to have seen several episodes where he's had multiple. Like, I know World's Finest, the movie with Superman and Batman finally meeting each other, he has several of them when he's trying to avoid those robots. Okay,
0: you're right. That is I'm, true. There, he does have a couple, right? Uh huh.
1: Okay, so okay. That, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna like count off for that.
0: Okay, it was just one of those things where I'm like, he's only got so much space in that belt. That's true. So, you know, for him to have a couple of grappling belts I mean, b- grappling guns, pardon me, you know you know it kind of made me go, "hmm, is that possible, but you're right they they established later on, so okay, okay, not, not a gripe. I'll, I'll 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 retract my statement there <laughs> um, I think that's all I have to say about this one i mean you know overall it's a it's a decent episode, it's got some flaws, but I think the uh you know the development of Baby Doll, this new villain, was was handled quite well.
1: Okay, and our next episode today is the line in the unicorn. In this episode, Alfred has received a. An emergency phone call from an old uh, colleague of his when he used to be in the, the British Secret Service. Um, and so he basically just takes off for for Britain uh, and just leaves a note, just basically just leaves a piece of paper to, that uh, says oh well, I've got to go and uh, I will call you as soon as I can basically. So when he gets there, he's accosted by these two guys and he, he gets away but uh, and then, like, escapes to, like, a hotel to hide out for a while. So he calls Bruce and lets him know where he is. But as as he's doing that, the two guys come in and kidnap him and take him to this castle where there's a missile silo uh, that has been uh, taken over by none other than Red Claw, whom we remember from, what was the episode? It was... Um, the Cat and the Claw. Cat and the Claw, thank you. Um, so she wants the these access codes that only Alfred and... Um, I'm sorry, well, I forgot Frederick. his name. Frederick, thank mm-hmm. you. So Alfred and Frederick have each have half of the code to this missile silo, which uh, ha- carries a very, very, very large missile, <laughs> which can level an entire city. So Red Claw wants these missile codes to uh, basically threaten the British uh, government for what was it, two hundred billion dollars, or something like that? No, it
0: was uh, five billion
1: pounds. Oh, five billion. Yeah, yeah pounds. God, what am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> See how confusing this plot is in some ways? (laughs) So, yeah, anyway, uh, Batman and Robin fly to England to save the day after that. Mm -hmm. Thoughts?
0: Well, before we get into our thoughts about this episode, I want to mention that on the DVD, this episode featured the original BTAS opening, but it has Robin in the show.
1: Yes, it did. So
0: remember, we were looking out for that. And mm-hmm. this one, it has Robin, but it's the old intro, so something's going confusing. on here. Confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, as for my thoughts, I kind of like this episode.
2: I, I, oh, I you hear, too. Oh, okay,
0: you paused there. I'm like, oh, does he not like this one? Because you were calling the plot Sorry. confusing and all this and that. I'm like, oh, maybe he doesn't like this one. I, I like this one a lot for several reasons. One, it focuses on Alfred, and I love getting a little bit of his history. I mean... You know, Robin's finding out for the first time what Alfred's former life was. And we are getting it for the first time. So we, the viewers, kind of can associate with Robin more than we could in the past. You know, you understand what I'm saying there? Robin's kind of our gateway into this episode more than uh, he's ever been before. So that was cool. Seeing Batman in London is awesome. Because
1: there
0: is like... Sure, you know, Gotham's his city, blah, 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 but no real-world city better fits Batman than London, England. So seeing him, you know, granted we don't really see him running through the streets doing all this, but he's still there. So it's just neat, Batman in London, oh, you know, because it's such a moody, beautiful city.
1: Gothic city. Yeah,
0: I'm ex- exactly, exactly. I was trying not to say it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so thank it you, is. thank you. You're, but you're right, it <laughs> is. So, you know, that's really
1: cool. Um, <sighs> well, along those lines, when, uh, when Batman sneaks into the, the British Secret Service office, that was such a cool scene. It is, because is this... he's, he's, he's getting information out of these people who have no idea who he is, mm. and he's he's basically saying, look, you give me this information, I will give you one of the most... Uh, infamous terrorists on the face of the planet. And then they just say, okay, here you go.
0: Well, (laughs) I thought that was cool because this, to my knowledge, is the first time we've seen Batman interact with the government. Is it not? Yes, it is. any government. And, you know, they have no reason to trust him, but because they're in such a pickle, they have to. They have no choice. (laughs) They're like, we really don't know who you are. We probably didn't even believe you existed until now but if you can give us Red Claw, here's the top secret info. I mean, that is really cool, and I love that scene, and I would love to see more of that. I know when we get to Justice League Unlimited, we do get to see Batman interact with Cadmus and some, you know, Luthor and government-run programs, but I'd like to see more like this, where Batman just kind of walks into, like like, the Oval Office or some secret government chamber and just... His influence, you know, his presence just kind of affects everybody. His ability room. to
1: manipulate people. Yeah,
0: I mean, that was, it's a pretty intense scene. Because at any moment, any, th- whether well, like three or four people in that room, any one of them could call in the guards and have Batman and Robin shot dead. Yeah. And they, they trust him. And I, I, that was so cool. Absolutely cool. Sorry if I'm rambling, but it, it's really just an awesome scene.
1: Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, we... We didn't get enough of it, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: it's it's over but, much too quickly.
1: You know, they get a lot of action in this episode, but that leads me to my first point about this episode. Besides the really cool uh, scene, there is most of the action in this episode is the stealthy kind of ninja Batman yeah, type stuff. It is, and you know, we, he he uh, uses the fog, the London fog, to his advantage. He uses he they, he and Robin go through the sewers and through through. Uh, all the nooks and crannies of this huge castle in Scotland. Yeah. So it's, it was really cool. I love seeing, uh, you know, Batman and Robin use, you know, it's nice to see them beat the crap out of people every now and then, which they do all the yeah. time. But it's it's nice to see the kind of stealthy action, too.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, there's that one real cool scene where there's, like, five guards walking down the hallway, and Batman mm-hmm. runs and gets one out of there silently. Robin gets the other. Batman comes from the other direction, and Robin does the same thing. Bef- and now there's just one guy left, and he turns around, and then suddenly he's taken out. I mean, it's like <laughs> barely a sound is made, but it's such, like, an intense moment that shows you Batman doesn't have to, you know... Get into, uh, you know, he doesn't have to throw batarangs at people, you know, while they're shooting guns at him. He can pick them off like that before they even think to pull their gun. They're already knocked out in the corner.
1: I actually have a couple of grabs for this episode. Besides the fact that I lo- I do like this episode, I think it's really cool that we get a spy kind of story. Mm-hmm. Batman, I think this is the first kind of James Bond esque uh, story we've had, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Um, but I do have a couple gripes. First and foremost, is what happens to Red Claw?
0: She dies. There's no, there's no other way around it. Red Claw died. You know, she's in the jet. She gets ejected out. She's not strapped into that seat as it starts to descend. Sure, the parachute, you know, launches, but it's barely coming out of the back of the seat when it hits the water. Now, mind you, she's at least a thousand feet in the air. And she's hitting that water at God knows what speed, because, again, the parachute really didn't launch. I think Red Claw died. And Batman's the one that triggered the ejector seat, so therefore Batman killed her.
1: Well, and which leads me to the next point. He he told these people that he would get Red Claw for him. <laughs> well, <laughs> hmm. in a way. <laughs> well, but no, so. you're right,
0: that would have been some cool continuity if maybe in some years later in the Justice League, the, you know, the... The, the, the government, the English government, came after him. Like, if Red Claw popped up again, that yeah. would have been a cool throwback to BTAS, you know? It's like, now wait a minute, Batman, you said you'd get her, we thought she was dead, you didn't follow up on your end of the bargain, so guess what? We're coming after you now. You know, like, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to pull their punches. If if they can get a shot at Red Claw and Batman happens to be there, tough shit, is basically, that would have been a cool a really cool <laughs> thing, but you know, whatever. They didn't do it. We're just kind of playing, you know, armchair directors here. <laughs> but you're uh-huh. right. He he didn't uh, follow up on his promise.
1: And which, in the same scene, I've got another kind of gripe. Uh, Batman's eyeball should have been obliterated without the canopy there.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: uh, they, he, they do, he's blind.
0: <laughs> they do do an okay job showing, you know, how he's struggling against the wind and he can barely keep his eyes open. But ultimately, you're right. It, you know, is, his, There's no way at the speed he was going, he would have been able to withstand what was going on.
1: Yeah, so that's, those are two of my big gripes. But uh, uh, what about you? Um, You know, I'm looking over my notes here, and I don't think I have too
0: many gripes. A lot of the things I wrote down were, of course, the things I liked about this episode. Um, mm-hmm. Right off the bat, we have... Alfred, Robin, and Batman in the cave. You know, Robin's doing his flip de uh, Batman's getting ready for his patrol. And as he's putting his, you know, as he's heading out, he's putting his mask on or whatever. What's Alfred doing? He's dusting the
1: cave. Dusting him off.
0: That is comedy <laughs> gold. And Batman's response is even funnier. He says something like, uh, I don't think the criminal element's going to mind a few specks of lint or something like that. That's just funny. And that whole opening sequence with Robin, you know, kind of... Rolling his eyes when Alfred tells him to put the shirt on and whatnot, that that really shows you that these guys are a family. That Alfred is the father, Bruce is the son, and Dick is sort of the grandson. You know, mm-hmm. it, it it shows you that. And you know, some people might take issue with this, but there are several times, and I counted at least four times in this episode that Batman actually smiles. And it's not like, oh, they accidentally screwed up his mouth and he was smiling. No, he very clearly paused to smile. And one of the times he does it is when Robin is being told to put a shirt on. And Batman looks over his shoulder and just kind of smiles and walks off. And mm-hmm. it's it shows you right there that Batman could actually be like... You know, because the whole thing is that Batman's doing this to avenge his parents' death and blah, blah, blah. And he's unstable and he's just as crazy as his villains. But that little moment right there showed you that maybe he's not as crazy as we think. That here he has a family and he loves them dearly. And he's going out doing what he's doing to protect them in the only way he knows how. And when he sees them all interacting like a family, he's going to take a moment to smile. Sure, the people who like their Batman all grim and gritty are going to complain about it, but I thought it was a cool moment. Absolutely, I keep saying cool and moment you, in this, and while we're talking about <laughs> this one, sorry about that, guys.
1: Well, well, you need stuff like that, or else it gets kind of just, eh, you know, it's it gets too depressing. Mm-hmm.
0: Otherwise, we so, get uh what is it? I am the knight.
1: Yeah, I mean, we get stuff staring so- into the abyss, <laughs> and the abyss becomes <laughs> you, and emo, emo, emo. <laughs> But, you know, there's a question he raises. What would they do without Alfred?
0: They would literally fall apart. I mean, they I have to, they yeah. absolutely would. I think what would happen is Dick would probably quit and go live a normal life. He, he would just give up Robin and go be Dick Grayson. Bruce would probably let the mansion literally fall apart, let Bruce Wayne be thought dead, and just uh, fall into the shell of, of Batman, he would probably never really take the cloak off. it would just become a turtle shell to him, like almost like Linus's blanket, Linus from the peanuts he, right. he would just be a wreck of a man because you know it'd be okay if if Alfred just died of old age Batman and Robin Bruce and Dick could cope. but I think if he was abducted or murdered or whatever, that would cause Batman to to just absolutely snap because now he 's lost. Every father figure he's ever had in his life. I mean, there's still Gordon, but, you know, I'm talking about the people that raised him. They'd all be gone right. at that point. So, yeah, he, he would just totally turn into a wreck. And I wouldn't be surprised if he went too far one day, accidentally killed someone, and ended up in Arkham himself, exposed as being Bruce Wayne.
1: Yeah, he'd become what he is in Epilogue.
0: Mm, yeah, that's Yeah, that's a good point
1: and to a lesser extent batman the whole batman beyond series mm-hmm.
0: where he pretty much never leaves and he's just yeah. holed yeah. up yeah he, sure
1: mm-hmm. that's pretty much what, what happened to mm-hmm. him and dick grayson would never speak to him again
0: <laughs> right right cuz
1: even less than he does now
0: right and yeah, because dick couldn't wouldn't be able to stand seeing bruce like that is really what it is yeah. if you know if if Alfred got murdered and batman went batshit insane pardon um you know, Dick would try to help him, but if Batman didn't come back from the edge, he would just eventually have to leave him and be like, look, I can't do this anymore, man. And he would just go on with his life, I think.
1: Yeah. Good old Alfred. Yeah. He's the glue that holds him together. Very much is.
0: He very much is. And that's why I appreciated this episode, because it shows that he really does hold them together. It shows how important he is to both men, you know, how important he is to the whole Batman family, what he brings to you know the the batman mythos
1: yeah and they weave it into a really cool spy story right too.
0: exactly exactly and you know uh one of the things i liked about this episode uh, you know one of the many things i should say is that it showed alfred as a fighter i mean we have those two goons who are chasing him who i don't know if you caught it are named bert and ernie uh, yeah. and and you know rightfully so bert is uh has the long face, and Ernie is the chubbier one. So that was that was pretty good. But they're chasing him, and Alfred beats them up. He uses an umbrella to trip them up and make an escape. And that made me wonder if Alfred ever tra- trained Bruce in any sort of fighting arts.
1: Maybe uh, judo or something, some, or some I, something like uh, an, um, a non, maybe a non-combative defense technique, right? Self-defense. Uh, uh, martial arts. Right, art.
0: yeah, I know, I know what you're getting at there. I mean, because at one point, Bruce says something like, uh, back in his day, Alfred was a pretty formidable fighter. You know, mm-hmm. that little line right there, to me, felt like a subtle hint. Like, he taught me some tricks. Like, not everything I know, but he taught me maybe how to street fight, or this and that. He gave me the basics, whatever, you know? Um so that wasn't well and
1: and he and he says that to Robin pretty sternly a couple times mm-hmm. too He's like Robin was like he must have been scared or petrified he's like don't dead on it he was pretty from, uh, formidable in his right. day so yeah he did and i noticed he got kind of you know angry at him not well not angry but like i said stern when he when he when Robin dared to say something bad about alfred yeah
2: yeah well
0: you know to me that was sort of like
1: uh, Respect your illness. Yeah, pretty
0: much. So, I mean, imagine if I spoke—not ill, but I said something about my grandfather in front of my father. So I was saying something about his father. He's going to kind of turn to me and kind of get a little snappy. That's yeah. basically what was happening here, and I—I I like that because it shows that there's a family dynamic. Again, we got Alfred mm-hmm. as the grandfather. We have Bruce as the father slash son, and then we have Dick as the you know the 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 youngest of the family, the son. Um, and they each have their roles to play. And when Alfred isn't around, Bruce is going to snap at Dick for, as you said, not respecting his elders.
1: Yeah. Um, I a, a question. I don't know, maybe you don't know this or not. Um, why did Red Claw call it the Blitz instead of the Blitzkrieg? Was that just kind of censoring it, what? or was it like it was too intense for uh, a children's television show?
0: Mm, no, I, th- I don't understand where you're coming from because I didn't pick okay. up on that. Okay,
1: remember remember when she goes into her monologue? Londoners, your ancient city may pride itself on having survived plagues, fires, even the right. Blitz, but unless five hundred pounds are delivered to me by then, I five hundred pounds or <laughs> right, five billion pounds. God, did I say hundred? Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. man, I'm on, I'm on a roll on this episode. You, you aren't sound I? like
0: Doctor Evil or whatever his name is from Austin <laughs> Powers. Unless you give me one million dollars,
1: <laughs> oh good lord! <laughs> Sorry, uh, there's 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 my Uber gaffe for the night. Anyway, yeah, that's. I just kind of was. I was kind of curious why they just called it the Blitz instead of the Blitzkrieg. I
0: don't know. I don't think there was any particular reason. I just. I, I I don't know why you'd think that they'd want to censor Blitzkrieg. I
1: don't know. I don't know. It, it's that's why that's why I was wondering why they decided to just call it the Blitz.
0: You know, I've heard I've heard it referred to more as the Blitz. Than the Blitzkrieg, really? so I, I, that's why I didn't take any issue at all. I mean, granted, I have.
1: I'm not. Ta- I'm, I'm not really taking issue with it. It's just I was just kind of confused by it. No, oh, is- right.
0: When I say take issue, I don't mean like, oh my god, how dare! And I'm not even trying <laughs> to imply you're saying that. Um, I'm just simply saying that. You know, I've heard it referred to as both. You know, I know it is both, but I've just heard it the other way. So I didn't even blink at them using Blitz over Blitzkrieg.
1: Yeah, Maybe it was. Essentially- I actually had. I actually had to listen to that monologue over again to see what she was saying. It was like, oh, she meant the Blitzkrieg.
0: Now, one more thing I wanted to bring up here, and I shouldn't say one more thing because I'm sure there's a few more things, but um, there's that one scene where Batman and Robin, they're in that room, and Red Claw locks them in. And from the ceiling, she unleashes some sort of piping hot red liquid. I mean, I think, what is that? Boiling
1: water, I thought is what it was, or boiling oil. Okay,
0: because if it was water, why was it red? I mean, boiling water doesn't get red, so maybe it was yeah. all, but regardless, no matter what it was, Batman and Robin, they obviously survive it. You know they're on the walkway, and they pretty much they jump underneath and they, you have to assume that they probably jumped over the ledge and shot their grapples into the bottom, right well, mm-hmm. okay, so they pull themselves up, but they only do so after two guards come in to check on them. Batman throws both guards overboard. Overboard's the wrong word. Over the ledge. And we hear a splash. Now, whatever that was, be it oil or water or lava or molten steel, hasn't had time to cool down. Nope. So Batman just killed two more people in this episode. I mean, Mm -hmm. that really irked me. Because it's not like we heard them hit pavement. Like there was a thud and then it was like, ugh! I mean, they they were thrown over and it was splish. It's like, Batman, whatever you just dodged you just threw those guys into like what happened to your you know non-lethal stance here man does it not count with londoners i mean what the hell <laughs> you know i'll only uh, not i, kill I, not I guess race. not i mean what the hell i <laughs> uh,
1: i guess not or and and Casdians, as we'll find out later on
0: <laughs> oh fuck i mean what else do you want to say about this one i've kind of been going off a little oh
1: uh, i really don't have many more notes for this episode Uh, it's, it's really, it's another one I'd like to sit back and just absorb because it is such a, it's, it's really an engrossing Mm storyline.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's, it's a really kind of tight international action. As you put it, James Bondian like episode. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not just on the Batman front, because we do get to see, again, we said it earlier and I'll say it again here. We get to see Alfred kicking some ass. I mean, when those guys come after him in the room, he tries to put up a fight. He doesn't go quietly. I mean, there's, there's a struggle when, when they finally jump Alfred. So, yeah, all, all around, I think the action in this one is really strong. And to tell you the truth, I would have liked it if this one was another two-parter. The last time we saw yeah. Claw, it was a two-parter. Yeah. And in this one, I felt that this really could have been stretched out so that the suspense, you know, was just, was just prolonged.
1: And we could have had a much longer uh, scene with him sneaking into the office.
0: See, there you go. I mean, right there.
1: Stuff, You know, more extended scenes that were really, really cool in this episode. We could have had uh, more of, like, interrogation of Alfred and Frederick. Right.
0: Right. I'm not going to hold it being a one-part episode against it. I'm just saying it would have been so much better, I think, had it been a two-parter.
1: Mm-hmm. Because it really had... The animation was really cool. It had it... I think it had its... uh, down moments there were some like in this in the spiral stairwell where they th- they throw their uh the batarang and the uh the rope that ties the guy up it like ties the guy up but he's knocked out and then the the animation just like sh- was shot to hell in that scene but those are few and far between for the most part the animation in this episode is really really mm-hmm. good and really cool because they take advantage of the uh fog uh, you know the london fog okay. again
0: now there was something that happened in this episode that i'm surprised you haven't brought up I I can't believe you haven't mentioned this. Before, um, I think it's Alfred, or maybe it was Frederick, whichever, was injected with the truth serum, they wiped down his arm with alcohol.
1: (laughs) Well, I I don't know. They... (laughs) That was they. They weren't killing them at that point, though. But they're still
0: terrorists. I mean,
1: (laughs) you only see. Yeah, I know. I know. She's going
0: to blow up London with a missile, man. Like, why is she bothering to wipe down this guy's arm with alcohol before torturing him? (laughs)
1: It's like, like you. Oh no! No, you know what? I'm gonna. Here's my. Here's my explanation for that. Okay, you'll notice that. All throughout their their many interrogation scenes in this episode, Alfred and Frederick make all kinds of uh, quips about how she isn't exactly a late, uh, a fine, proper right. woman. Now, maybe this was her attempt to say, "Oh, look, I can be nice for you know three seconds."
0: <laughs> I think you're stretching, but I'm going to let you have that one, yeah, sir. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I think I, I that was that was me and my uh, attempted at sarcasm, but. <laughs>
0: Um, another...
1: that was like my, at my explanation of uh, you know the, the the sky being completely covered in pollution and the guy not turning into a wolf for a year <laughs> and a half or whatever the hell it was
0: yeah. another thing I get a chuckle out of in this episode is how egotistical Red claw is. you know when Batman finally shows up she 's like, "How did he find me here now she doesn 't even consider that Batman is maybe tracking down one or both of these guys that she's abducted, she instantly thinks that he was looking for her. Because remember, he stumbled upon her. He had no clue that this was a plot by Red Claw. That, that just kind of came up during the course of their investigation. But yeah, so, they
1: found the tattoo on the guy's right, arm. But
0: she's so egotistical that she thinks Batman's after her, and therefore she'll never put two and two together that one or both of these fellows maybe is important to Batman. And therefore, if she were to research that, she would be able to figure out who he was. But she's not going to think about that. I like that a lot.
1: Even though later on she rips his mask off in the back, But she's
0: behind him. She never gets a shot of him. I mean, it does come off, but the second it comes off, he hits that eject button and she's gone.
1: (laughs) Well, see, and that's the thing. I think if they had uh, played up that she had died, like she saw that it was Bruce Wayne... But then she died? That would have been pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That really would have, I think that would have upped my point, my score on this episode another point, just because of how, just, you know, intense it would have been. It would have made it a lot, I think it would have made that scene even better. Like, she rips the mask off, she looks over and sees Bruce Wayne, or Vane, or however, whatever, whatever the hell accent she had. (laughs) And it's like, he hits the ejector seat, and like the parachute doesn't open or something. Mm -hmm. It, like malfunctions and she plummets to her death in the ocean
0: oh I got gotcha. you okay that, yeah
1: that would have been really cool mm-hmm. see the problem with because we've already had implied deaths before well
0: see the problem with that one and I like that don't get me wrong I like that is that that one's not implied at all like red claw quote unquote dying the way she does die in this episode you could claim she's maybe picked up by you know m i five or m i five m five m i five
1: m i five yeah. or m
0: i six or whatever those organizations m i right. six yeah that's right well, no so. no, there's m i five and six I think you know you could claim she was picked up by someone, maybe Superman swooped in and grabbed her, but if it's done the way you're describing, it's a little too. Overt. Yeah, it's very clear that she died, and there's really no way around it unless they've established that she has some sort of superpower, which, of course, she doesn't. So, again, I see where you're coming from, but you just they, there's no way they would have been able to get away with it. Next on our list is Showdown. And this one, oh, this one, oh, it, it has the first appearance of Jonah Hex.
2: Oh, swoon. Okay,
0: well, what really happens in this episode? Well, Jonah Hex does happen in this episode, but I'll get to that in a minute. Is that uh, Rachel Ghoul has uh, broken into an old folks' home of all places? He's gassed it, and he ends up abducting an. Uh, an old man. We don't see who he abducts, but we figure out who it is later on. And Batman and Robin, of course, are tracking him, and they're trying to figure out why the hell El Ghoul would abduct some old guy. Well, you know, Batman before they before Batman and Robin leave the the old folks' home, uh, Batman sees a cassette left on the chair the guy was sitting in, and Batman takes it. He's like, "Hmm, maybe Raish gave us a clue." As they're in the Batmobile, they're tracking Ra's, uh What is it? He's like in a gyrocopter or something or whatever yeah some like
1: air airship yeah
0: it's something that's not going to get them out of gotham so he knows they have to be going to an strip. and along the way mm-hmm. they pop in the tape and they get this backstory about this man named arcady who used to be probably an apprentice of Rachel ghoul and this is like the late 1800s do we get an exact time is it like 1870 something 1880 something
1: it was it was when it was in Arizona when the the, the railroads were first being uh, connected, basically connecting the west to the east. So, you know, eighteen I guess it would be eighteen fifties ish, or maybe maybe after the Civil War. Okay. I'm not sure,
0: but roundabout there. Um, yeah, yeah. We get this story from him about Arcady and this airship that they were building because Rache had this plan to destroy the railroads because he was a futurist basically and he saw that if man advanced into the west that, you know we were going to wipe out all the forests and just pollute the hell out of it i mean that's what we do he saw how we ruined the east coast and the midwest and he didn't want that to happen to the west coast so he was trying to prevent that or at the very least slow it down and you know as he is trying to accomplish this he and arcady end up getting stopped by the cowboy bounty hunter uh, known as Jonah Hex. and by the end of the episode, Batman figures out that Arkady is actually rachel ghoul 's son, and that 's why Rachel abducted him um, because though he left Arcady to his fate all those years ago, that being a jail sentence, you know he couldn 't uh, leave him to just die in an, in a convalescence home, so he he was basically trying to take him. Home, for lack of a better word, to let him die peacefully and be with his family in his final moments. It's kind of a touching, uh, but short Rachel Gould moment we get at the end of the episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I know you have a you have so many notes about this one, James, don't you?
1: <laughs> oh, I have just
0: a whole lot one, one
1: big one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, and there's a reason. It's because you can't. This is just an episode you have to sit back and yeah. absorb. Because, for God's sake, it's Jonah Hex. And the end, the episode itself, uh, is really touching at the end. You know, even though you've got Rachel Ghoul who is, f- you know, basically an irredeemable villain. He's not somebody you should feel any kind of sympathy for, because he wants to wipe out, what, like, you know, 99% of the Earth's population. But, you know, it's a really touching moment at the end of the episode where he, uh,. He says we will live to cross swords another day detective let me just be with my son please yeah and, you know
0: and the thing is when he actually says that if you look at Raish's face for a brief moment it gets very old and tired and human and you can't help but feel sorry for raiche like yeah batman leave him alone let him just have this moment with his family
1: yeah exactly and we don't get you know it's not like you get that very often from no, Rachel goul no. So it was nice to add a little human element to him there for just just one episode yeah. or just one little two-minute scene there. Um, and then you know in that scene, it's you can tell from the beginning Batman knows or from the beginning of that final scene, you know that Batman knows that that's that Duval was was slash is his yeah. son. And when Robin jumps out, he he stops him. You know he noticeably just stops him from attacking Ubu or Al Ghul. Yeah because he knows what, what's happened, and he just, he wants the explanation. So it was, it was a really, really well put together scene, let alone the, the, whole, uh, the whole action part of the episode with uh, Jonah Hex taking down the airship and everything.
0: What I appreciated about that uh, whole sequence on the airship is that people are dying left and right. I mean, Jonah Hex blows up a good portion of that ship before the ship actually finally explodes into ashes, You know, Mm because there's all those guys shooting the cannons. And Jonah Hex blows up that whole room. And there's people still crawling out of the window when the explosion rocks the ship. And it's like, all these guys just died. And, you know, I like that in this episode for a couple of reasons. One, it's not Batman doing the killing, so we don't have to take issue with it. Two, it's Jonah Hex. And it's a cowboy story. I mean, you, you can't read a Western without people dying left and right. Any Western you see, someone's biting biting it they're, they're gonna be pushing up daisies i'm sorry i had to say it before yeah. before the either the issue if it's a comic or you close the book or the the, the movie is ended whatever so, someone or multiple people are gonna die violently so i thought it was really cool that they didn't pull any punches when it came to jonah hex and how he dealt with these people he's a bounty hunter he's yeah. a cowboy they're gonna die so kudos
2: and him.
1: yeah they established that very early and when he, they introduced him to the sheriff saying, yeah, remember they, those wanted posters say dead or alive, could you try alive once in a yeah. while or, you know he's like oh, there's a first time for everything yeah that was that was a great, great moment mm-hmm. there um,
0: now before we move on, yeah. I have to just point out one thing: this mm-hmm. episode was written by Joe R Lansdale who he did the teleplay I should say the story was by uh Three guys. I think it was like Deanie, Tim, and someone else. But the teleplay was by Joe R. Lansdale. And if you remember, he's the fellow who did... um, He introduced us to Scarface, if memory serves.
1: I believe so, Um, He,
0: of course, did some other ones. I think he did Perchance to Dream. I want to say he did one or two more. But the reason I'm bringing him up is I'm about to shill. If you guys would like to hear an interview with Joe R. Lansdale... All you have to do is download Dread Media, episode 13. Desmond Reddick, who's one of my co-hosts on Earth2.net, the show, recently had the chance to interview the man. And it's a wonderful interview. So if you want to hear it, go to iTunes and just look up Dread Media. You can find it there. If you don't want to use iTunes, just go to Earth2.net, earth hyphen the number two dot net and you'll see um episode 13 of dread media it's still listed on the main page just scroll down a little you'll actually see an image of jonah hex that was the banner i made for that episode of dread media just click that and the mp3 will start downloading and you can listen to joe lansdale talk about his novels and they actually do spend a little time talking about batman the animated series so sorry i had to shill for earth.net and uh desmond there so
1: Hey, well (laughs) wow. Hey why why am I saying that? We can do whatever we want.
2: (laughs) Oh Um,
0: anyways, to to, to bring this back I just have to say (laughs) Junex I I don't know why I love him so much. I just do. I, I mean, maybe it's the fact that he's a take-no-prisoners cowboy. Maybe it's the fact that he, there's a mystique around him. Maybe it's the kind of cool scar he has on his face. Maybe it's all those things together. I don't know, but there's something about that character that I just love, be it in the comic books, in the, the DCAU, because, of course, we do see him again. He pops up during the Justice League. Um you know, I, I just love this character, and I'm a little upset that DC's never made a Jonah Hex Western movie. Not a superhero movie, just a Jonah Hex movie. And, hell, I'd love to see them make, a, make it a little more mature and put it on Showtime or FX, just do a Western. You know, no superheroes, yeah. just a Western starring this, this badass known as Jonah Hex. That would be ratings. I really think, you know, I mean, look, we got Deadwood. What channel is that on, Showtime?
1: That's, uh... Showtime or yeah, HBO, Showtime. one of the
0: two. That—that's That's, what, uh, is that still on the air? I know it did three seasons. Is a fourth one coming? I
1: i don't think so, but I'm not entirely okay, sure. Okay, but
0: regardless, it lasted three seasons. Jonah Hex, that means that could last at least that long. Put this on the air, man. I mean, it irks me that we have not seen a Jonah Hex TV show or movie come out of Warner Brothers.
1: No, and, you know, you can go after... uh the kinds of villains that Batman doesn't normally go after, like maybe rapists uh-huh. or, you know, stuff like that. Because Jonah Hex has gone after them quite frequently in, in his comic book series. Well, I'm
0: convinced that Arcady is a rapist. Because he says, I'm coming after you on account of what you've done to that girl you out did. east. Right. Now, it's never said he raped her. For all we know, he could have murdered her. He could have beat her up. He could have mauled her. But, I mean, you you got to you got to consider the tone and the fact that Jonah Hex really wants this guy. That tells me this guy raped her. So it's, it's very...
1: Very it's likely. Very
0: much there. So, But, you know, again, if you did a live-action show or even a more mature animated series on a cable network, you could just outright say it, that this guy raped this woman and this guy killed these people and whatever. You could have fun. And the great thing about Jonah Hex is you can go a little off the wall sometimes. It doesn't have to always be about him... You know, chasing bad guys. He could go after some. I mean, look at this episode. He's going after a giant freaking airship, and yet it still works. It still works as a western and as a great Jonah Hex story.
1: Yep. And you know, speaking of Arcady, we had Malcolm McDowell in this episode who did his voice, and he would, you know, go on to become Metallo in Mm -hmm. Superman the animated series, and did another good another good job here. They they know how to find their voice talent for the for the vast majority. And what's they know how to pick their voice out. What's style.
0: really cool about that is once you know that he's Rachel Ghoul's son, his accent makes sense. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, no wonder why he sounds so prim and proper here, because he was raised by Rachel Ghoul. Makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking of which, you know, they when uh, Hex and Duval are about to have their little uh, blade battle up there on the the, the fast, fastly sinking ship, uh you know, he says he's a Heidelberg fencing champion. Uh, Heidelberg was a, you know, it was a university in Germany uh, where you, you and your opponent basically tried to slash each other in the head, and it was basically the point of it was to give yourself a huge scar to wear as a sign of glory, and that's where the scar on his face oh, comes from.
0: Nice catch! I was trying to figure out why he had that scar. Very cool catch, sir.
1: Well, thank you, but I thought that was really cool. It was that, that was really cool how they did mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah, because I wasn't sure if that was a scar or a birthmark or what that was supposed to be. You know, for a while I thought it was just a plot device because, you know, we see it on him as a young man. And then when he was an old codger, we still see it on his face. So that's the sign that it's supposed to be arcadey. But the fact that they actually turned it into, that, that they can't, you know... What, what real life yeah, they turned, exactly right thing. they turned it into a historical thing that meant something to people who are willing to look it up such as you that's cool that that's extra points right there
1: mm-hmm. um anyway yeah. uh go on and i'll because you know me and my lack of <laughs> yes. um
0: I'll i appreciated on. the <laughs> continuity that was in this episode at the end rachel ghoul tells Batman why he didn't mention Arcady during what he called the Phoenix debacle, which, of course, was the, the demon quest. You know, mm-hmm. in there, you know, for anybody who's seen that episode or heard uh, our discussion of it, uh, you know, Rachel Goul courts Batman to be his heir, to take over his empire. But if you suddenly introduce this son, you have to look back and go, wait, why didn't Ra's just give it to his son? Well, Raish covers that simply by saying, I could tell back then he was too unstable, and I, there was no way I could hand my empire over, over to him. There you go. That That's really cool. It's just like one or two lines, and anybody who's a continuity fiend now can't complain. And I love how Rachel El even addresses the fact that he has a son. He's like, do you think in my, you know, 500 years, 600, yeah, 600, years, 600 years, I would only have sired one child? Which is great, because now... Granted, they never did it, but they could have set up more of Talia's siblings coming to to take Ra's Empire and challenge her for it. You know, and in the comics, he actually does have a second daughter. So very, very right. cool.
1: She's the one who ends up killing him, right?
0: Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think she was, though. Yeah, but yeah. So very cool. Just having this thought in the back of our heads, like, ooh, there could be some more Ra's al Ghul children out there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> another little historical thing that they kind of did here with uh Jonah Hex was uh after Duval says you're either a liar or a fool, and then Hex says, I've been known to be foolish Ain't nobody calls me a liar and goes to bed happy. You call somebody a liar back in you know eighteen seventies eighteen eighties you're you are dead, you will be parted between the eyes with a bullet, yeah. So that was kind of cool, I thought. Well, that
0: goes to the strength of, you know, Lansdale, who, of course, wrote the teleplay. He knows his stuff when it comes to Westerns. So Mm -hmm. the fact that he got the, what did you call it, the German fencing, the the Heise, what was
1: it called? The Heidelberg.
0: The the fact that that's in there, you know, that shows that he knows his his history, that, you know, uh, the the same thing with this liar bit. He knows that there's no way you would get away with calling anybody that back then. Uh, So, yeah. You know that's just shows you how strong of a writer he really is. He just doesn't dash off a script. He does his research.
1: Yeah, and we get. I like. I like how we get more. We get a lot of the sarcastic Jonah Hex, but then we get and we get the comedic Jonah Hex. He's like, "You're a bounty hunter? Oh, just to pay for my piano <laughs> yeah. lessons." It's just just stuff like that. I, Jonah Hex, damn it.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, what I loved about that moment is you know. He, he gets that way when he's talking to that woman. So you could infer that that's his way of flirting.
1: Bing, yes. You
0: know, and it's cause you're right around the people he's trying to take in and all these thugs that are working for them. You know, he's the rough Jonah hex. Don't fuck with me or I'm going to kill you type of guy, you know, but around this woman, he's like, Oh, just to pay for my piano lessons. It's like that. That's very cool. Um <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's it, it's funny just seeing Jonah Hex hitting on what's essentially a whore, because <laughs> there's no there's no way around it. She's a whore. She refers to one of her girls, her ladies. Her ladies. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she's a madam. That's what she is. So you might as well just mm-hmm. say it. And you know, much praise to uh, the the crew for having the guts to put this one out there, and the censors for letting it go, because you know it's a period piece. That's what it is. If you have a woman working in a bar like that she's a mistress, she's a whore, you, you just might as well say it. You know, so good for them. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's something I have to bring up, and yes, I have to bring it to this level. I really do. But in the beginning, when Batman and Robin are storming that facility, trying to stop uh, racial ghouls, men, from abducting uh, who turns out to be Arcady, uh, Robin crouches down in front of one of the thugs and hits him in the dick. I mean,
1: he certainly does. It's, I watched
0: it and I paused it. Jen was out of the room at this point. She was in the bedroom reading and I call her. I'm like, are are you comfy? And she's like, yeah, sorta. And I'm like, oh, well, come here. I want to show you something. So (laughs) she's like, oh, come on. I'm like, no, you got to see this. I need something cleared up. So, you know, she kind of groans and gets out of bed and she comes into the front room and I go, okay, watch this. And I show it to her and I'm like, where did Robin just hit that guy? She goes the balls. Good night, and just goes to bed. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to make sure that I wasn't inferring anything. I mean, because it's much like what happens when the Joker got hit in the dick all those episodes ago.
1: And the mask, right? Yeah, where
0: it's that low shot, and all of a sudden he's doubled over. You know, Robin fights dirty, but then again, he was trained by Batman. So, what do you expect?
1: Our next episode on today's ep- episode is <laughs> Riddler's Reform. And as the title would so aptly put it, apparently Riddler has reformed and become an upstanding member of society.
0: I thought this was a Scarface episode.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I, shoot, I thought Bane came back. Oh, I see,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, go I, ahead.
1: <laughs> I know. I, it's, it's tough to decipher this, this title's meaning, you know. Uh, so anyway, Nygma, Edward Nigma has, uh, Signed a contract with a toy company to launch a new line of Riddler games and puzzles, uh, and Batman and Robin, of course, obviously don't believe he's he is reformed because he's he's such he's so obsessed with his his persona and his rid, riddle games that there's they feel there's no way he could possibly become an upstanding member of society. Gee, you think? <laughs> so anyway they get involved and they start investigating and they find that indeed he has been leaving, uh, subtle clues and hints and all of, and every time they meet up or there's a commercial for advertising his toys or anything like that. So Batman has to play a lot of mind games with him and, and try to bring him down. So that's about it. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my five personal favorite episodes of the entire series. Um, my dad, as I've said before, used to work for Time Warner, and he brought home like vid- promotional videos and stuff from like Warner Brothers kind of uh, Warner Brothers shows and the like. And Batman the animated series obviously was one of them. And he brought home these VHS tapes with like the uh, you know spe- there were special editions like penguin. There was a Penguin cassette with two episode- Penguin episodes on it. There was a Joker one. There was a Two Face one, and there was a Riddler one. And the Riddler one had this this episode. And if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Well, I ended up watching this episode over and over and over and over again when i was you know like 12 13 years old i just loved it i just i couldn't get tired of watching it over and over again because it's it's a lot darker than uh you would expect a riddler episode to be the animation is spectacular um and it's just it's really an enjoyable episode overall uh what about what do you think
2: well
0: you know i like this episode don't get me wrong but at the same time, I'm not as crazy about it as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know me and
1: my Riddler fanboyism that right. plays into it.
0: Right. I mean, I don't agree with you when you say that the animation is. Great.
1: I called it spe- oh, oh, call it spectacular. You call it spectacular. Sorry. Right well, it's co- if nothing else, uh, two things. You've got, I think, the best shadows on bat on Batman's costume and and character anywhere. I mean there's several instances where you look at him and he's standing in the shadows it's like wow holy crap that's cool uh like when uh he meets riddler in his penthouse well, when he's having his little party there and uh he's standing in front of the window and he he's after he's we'll get to this in a few minutes about him playing mind games with the riddler but he as he's leaving he he you know f- extends his arms with the cape out and lightning strikes and he disappears. That's one of the really cool moments. And, and then you get
0: and I'll concede hmm. that that's an awesome moment.
1: Then there's when he at the near the end of the episode when he tracks him back to the convention center where this episode started. It, he's walking by this tank of water where there's like a Harry Houdini exhibit, uh, and uh, like this Riddler marionette shoots uh, shoots the tank and the water spills all over Batman. And as he gets up and like disarms the the marionette, he he gets up and he stands there, with nothing, it's almost completely black, and he he squints his eyes like he is just ultimately pissed off, and, and that's another one a really cool uh, animation moment with shadows there. And I, what was my other point? I this was there was a, this was a point A and a point B, and my point B was uh, oh yeah, it's it's certainly the easiest, it's easily the best animation for a Riddler episode so far. But that, you know, that's not very hard, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) No, it's not. See, again, when it comes to the lighting and the shadows, especially when it comes to that penthouse scene, I'm with you right there. But, like, when the episode opens up and Batman and Robin, they show up on the dock and they start beating the shit out of the Riddler's men and there's that whole thing with the fat guy who owns the toy company, there's something about that scene, about the animation, that's just... I don't know, it's just kind of wonky. There's just something not right about it in my mind. I think it does pick up as the episode progresses, but that opening scene, which is supposed to is which is what's supposed to set the tone for the rest of the episode just didn't do it for me and left a kind of a sour taste in my mouth.
1: We'll, we'll agree to disagree on that okay. part then. Okay. <laughs> um uh, I think and like I said a minute ago, the I think the selling point of this episode is Batman playing mind games with the Riddler. Because you don't see this very often where Batman will just confront one of his villains and say, you're sick, you can't help it, and I'm going to get you. <laughs> and you know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it really makes for a really cool, really tense scene in the penthouse. Yeah. Um, and And what makes it even better is the following scene when... Uh, Enigma's sitting there in his chair, all de- kind of just depressed, and he's like, and he's talking to his goons, and he's saying, he's right, you know, he is going to get me sooner or later. And that's another thing you don't really see from the Rogues Gallery, just them admitting that that Batman is going to get them. So it's like, well, oh, no more riddles. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Screw it. <laughs> but yeah, that's that. I think that's the real selling point of this episode.
0: Yeah, that is a, that that is a really good scene because Batman just lays it all out on the table. It's like it, it, it could, in the hands of a lesser writer, it would probably come off as being very expositional. Like this is what the Riddler's all about, and I'm going to tell the Riddler what he's all about while telling the audience in case they didn't know. But the way it's done, it's it's very crafty, and it doesn't come off as exposition. It's more like Batman outsmarting his villain by showing him, look, I know what you're going to do, so you can't win, you know, but it's exposition at the same time. We can't deny that. We can't deny that. But yeah. it, 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 it's just, ooh, it's, it's written so well. I'm sorry I'm stumbling over it there, but <laughs> it is one of those scenes that really does uh, raise this episode up for me. And mm-hmm. then as you said, the, the Riddler's reaction to it is just like, son of a bitch son of a you know yeah it's like before before the scene cuts in you know he's sitting in the chair cursing his his little hat off <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah it, it's a it is a very mature moment for a character that is usually portrayed in uh you know uh, kind of a lighthearted manner
1: yeah you know? and I mean, you know like
0: you know maybe i shouldn't even say lighthearted because some of the ep- riddler episodes do get kind of dark i mean look at uh, if you're so smart why aren't you rich i mean at the end, it's got that really dark ending where the the the, oh, the
1: Mockridge. yeah, where, thank
0: you, where Mockridge has got that shotgun and he can't sleep. That's very dark. Yeah. Um, I don't remember there being too many dark moments in. Um, shoot, what is reality? Is that the other one?
1: Yeah, that's the other one. But I mean, you have Gordon's heart being shown on the computer <laughs> screen. <laughs>
0: right. So yeah, we do get we do get the uh, you know the potential to see Gordon have a heart attack. But this is so much more mature because it really gets into the character's psyche and deep into the psyche so deep that the character can't help but admit that his enemy is one hundred percent correct. So yeah, that, that does get it some extra points in my mind.
1: And then it all leads up to that con- that second convention scene where mm-hmm. Nigma's on the television screen and he's saying, You know, this is it, Batman. I'm a little sad actually. <laughs> you know, you were a worthy opponent, but I told you I'd make a killing at the fair. <laughs> It's like, just, you know, the hell with it. No more riddles. I'm just going to blow you up. <laughs> and then it all culminates with Batman again playing mind games with him when he confronts him in the penthouse again the second time. And he's... And was like, how did you get out of that? There's no way. And he's like, well, that's my little riddle. And uh-huh. it just it, more and more layers, just more and more layers of just screwing with him. Uh-huh. And... uh and then the, fi- the final culmination is, of course, in Arkham, where it ends with him just screaming. And it's, it's really creepy in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's a, it was a great way to end the episode, because this was a very serious episode.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that, that scene where he's in Arkham, Arkham screaming his head off, and we see the Joker and other characters holding their ears because they can't tolerate it, that really does show you how messed up the Riddler is. You know, the Riddler isn't Two-Face with, you know, half of his body scarred. He's not the Joker with his bleached white skin. You know, he's not Killer Croc. He's not any of these guys that can't pass in society. He could walk down the street and no one would really know who he is. You understand what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. But, you know, they have to go, so because of that, they have to go that extra mile to show you how broken he really is inside on the outside, he might look like look okay let's look at Norman Bates on the outside. he looks like your normal but somewhat awkward fellow, but on the inside he is so tortured that 's exactly what happens with Edward Nigma here mm-hmm. looks normal, maybe a little awkward at times, but still, but still he just he can't get over his obsessions, and nope. they, they illustrate it perfectly as this episode closes mm hmm
1: and uh, I think overall, with the three episodes, even though "What Is Reality" was somewhat mediocre, mm-hmm. uh, I think overall they wrote the Riddler pretty well in in the series. This being his last appearance in the original Batman the animated series, mm-hmm. I think they wrote him overall very well. Because remember back in uh, uh, the first episode, "If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Rich?" Uh, he's the only, he at the, that point was the only villain to get away,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he wasn't. He wasn't. Batman never caught him, and that was that was like. And I made the uh, comparison to a wrestler getting a big, a big rub from a major, a major superstar in the company, or something like yeah. something to that effect. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I was really pleased with the way, the way they overall wrote the Riddler through the series, even though it was only three episodes worth. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. One, one of the other things I do like about this one are the clues. You know, a lot of times the Riddler's clues are very obvious. Mm-hmm. Like what? What's the one in the in the first episode? What's as high as an elephant's eye? Yeah, I mean that that's very blatant. But in this one, it's much more subtle. You know, when he and Batman are fighting on the on the dock, he's just talking to Batman. But when Batman remembers what Nygma said, he's like, "Holy crap, that was a clue!" Because he talks about ancient history. You know what? He's was, a-
1: He's a new man. Yeah. New, Newman was the name of the antique store.
0: Right. And so pair that up with ancient history. So you got your antiques there. I mean, that's a very well thought out clue. And then you have the number on the chalkboard, which Batman thought was a map coordinate, but the Riddler flipped it. So it ends up becoming, what was it, 10 Leslie as yeah. an address. So it's like, there you go. We think we get one clue, but we actually get a whole nother clue. Um, and I think there were a couple of more that I'm not... Remembering right now, um, but even if there weren't my point stands, I think these are some of the best Riddler riddles that we've seen so far because they are not in your face. Mm-hmm. They're very subtle, or there's a twist on them in the form of the blackboard getting flipped
1: yep, to make you think. Yeah.
0: So as I'm talking this, as I'm talking uh, this one through, I'm th- rethinking my grade. I'm like, really, why did I give this one kind of? a mediocre grade. Because it's like my only gripe with it so far, I think, really has been the animation.
1: Yeah, and it's not... I mean, it's a deep episode, but it's pretty straightforward at the same time. Mm. It's... There's... Even though it's one of my favorite episodes, I don't have a lot of notes because it's just... I can remember a lot of it from memory, but even still, it's it's pretty straightforward. So... uh, Another thing I really liked about this was Jim Gordon getting to have... poke some fun at the Riddler's expense... The, at the at the second penthouse scene, when he comes when he comes in after Batman has uh, uh, just made. I made him oh, yeah. subtly confess to his crimes. Mm. He's like, and he comes in and says, "My, my compliments. This is a nifty little idea."
0: Yeah, because he's talking about the what was it? It was the little device, the two-way radio. Yeah, that Nygma had used on Batman earlier in the episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. I completely forgot about that. That was cool because you don't get to see you know Gordon get those little jabs in. But yeah, that was sort of a slap in the face, and good for Gordon because this guy yeah. tried to kill him. <laughs> yes, you know? he did. So I don't know if we still was, don't
1: know why but right? we, but he did.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that was like <laughs> intentional continuity if they were like hey let's let's have Gordon get a little payback or if it's just, you know, one of those happy coincidences, but I really don't care. You know, yeah. whatever it is, it it works nicely.
1: That's that's really pretty much what I have to say. I I, I just I really dig this episode. It's just a, it's a personal heartfelt favorite.
0: And lastly today, we're going to talk about Second Chance. In this one, uh, Two-Face has been taken to uh, a hospital, and he has been uh, completing some psychiatric treatment, and the doctors believe that the final step to getting rid of Harvey's Two-Face persona is to uh, basically get plastic surgery and uh, wipe away those scars. And in the process... Of uh, this surgery, he's kidnapped by his greatest enemy, and it's up to Batman and Robin to track down uh this this enemy at first, they think it's Rupert Thorne, because of course those two have a history dating back years um and then they uh, think it's the penguin because he and the penguin have some feud all of a sudden, and at the end of the day, it turns out that Harvey's greatest enemy is in fact himself two face. So, again, much like we did in Riddler's Reform, we kind of get this uh, internal struggle between Harvey Dent's two sides and Batman slash Bruce is there to try to rescue Harvey from his inner demons, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do you think about this one?
1: I think overall it's a pretty good one. I, th- I don't I don't like the fact that they just suddenly made the Penguin and Two-Face arch-nemesis.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things I wrote down was like, when did these two become blood enemies that they would even suspect that the penguin would want to murder the man or kidnap him or whatever. It's like, I can see them not totally getting along. I mean, I think the rogues get along when they need to. And then the rest of the time they probably just stay away from each other. So for there to be this, history that we don't know about was a little irksome i mean they try to explain it by saying that harvey stole some what was it like a bird or something
1: like some kind of statue maybe like a little bird
2: uh,
1: image or graven image i guess something like that
0: what's weird about it is i don't even think they gave the bird a sort harvey only commits crimes that are related to the number two yeah so why would he suddenly be stealing some random bird You know, unless it was like a two-headed bird, or there were only two of these birds, and he now has both of them. Harvey just wouldn't bother with that. So even though they tried adding in this backstory, it just didn't work for me. It felt very forced. Mm -hmm. It's like they could have went to Poison Ivy. Yeah, that would have made a lot more sense. Right, I mean, she tried to kill the guy once before, so why not kidnap him and try to kill him again? I just, the penguin thing was so out of left field, it bothered me.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Although I do I did like his line, I would face him face to face to face, <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that was a good line right.
0: And you know, for all my gripes about them adding the penguin into this, I like how he was portrayed because he is utterly vicious, where you know he's he's in his in his cell and he's got all those those uh pigeons. In there mm-hmm. with him, and he has those things go flying out of there to try to murder Batman and knock him off that ledge. I mean, I don't think to date we've seen the Penguin portrayed in such a brutal fashion, have we?
1: No, unless you count being in a Viking helmet and riding around <laughs> through the through a theater.
0: There, yes, that is true. He was trying to kill people, but that seemed like car- that was something
1: that was something Hitchcockian, right there.
0: What, with these birds here? With,
1: with the birds, yeah. Right,
0: yeah. What I was going to say is that the thing with the Viking and the Viking helmet and the dragon, that was very cartoon violence. Yeah. Here, as you said, this is very real. It's very Hitchcockian. That's a very great way to put it, James. Um And I appreciate that because I, I love when they take these villains and they put a more serious spin on them.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this was... they did
0: it here with the penguin. They definitely did it here with Two Face. And they did it last episode with Riddler's Reform.
1: And even with uh, uh, Baby Doll.
0: Yes, yes, exactly.
1: So Hell, they of... even
0: did it with Rachel Gould and his son.
1: That's just every episode here. So, wait,
0: wait. Are we missing an episode or are there <laughs> episodes today? Wait, what was the
1: third episode we were in? I'm forgetting.
0: Is... The Lion and the Unicorn. <laughs> so, okay, the Red Claw's the villain, but we get a more serious look at Alfred. Yes, we do. So yeah, they they were just hitting all cylinders here.
1: Ah, the humanism.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but uh what I of course what I most liked about this episode was that they showed more tension between Bruce and Dick.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh they needed to since Gotham Knights will is coming up relatively soon and uh, and and Dick Grayson has obviously left and under not so uh wonderful terms. So, but and moreover, on that point, uh, Robin really got to show his resourcefulness and his and his ass-kicking ability in this episode at the same time. Uh, When Rupert Thorne, you know, uh, kidnaps him and they he orders him to be like thrown off the Gotham Bridge, I love how he didn't say a word. I know his his mouth was taped there for a while, but even after it wasn't taped, he didn't say a word until after he just kicked those guys through the door of their car, out onto the bridge. when What what was the line he says? Like, not all trash is thrown in the river.
0: Something like that, yeah. yeah.
1: That was, it was just a really, really cool thing that they did for Dick Grayson's character there.
0: Right, because as we've said before, normally he is, you know, he's the bouncy sidekick. That's really what he mm-hmm. is. He's there. For comic relief, he's there for the younger viewers and the younger readers. Um, I'm sure I've said this before on the show, but the whole reason Robin was created was because, you know, kids, they really can't see themselves as Batman. Batman's too perfect. But Robin, Robin's young, he makes mistakes, they can relate to that. That's why he's there. So, of course, they're going to make him the more, don't take this the wrong way, but flamboyant one the one who's just there to have fun. He's not there for some deep, dark revenge. He's really just there to go out and kick some bad guys in the face because that's what he likes doing. Mm -hmm. But here, I like seeing the flip side of that.
1: It seem like Robin, at one point, I don't blame him for being pissed off here at all. Mm -hmm. It was because Batman, again, was going into, oh, I've got to do this alone mode. Um, You know, Batman apologizes to him. He said, sorry, Harvey's my friend. I'm just worried about him. And then Robin says, right, I'm just a kid in tights. Uh, Did it seem like that was just kind of a little too much? No, I thought that was
0: fair because it shows you that even though Bruce apologized and he has perfect reason to want to do this alone, that there is a tension between these two all the time. And that Dick, you know, he suffered this too much from Bruce. And, you know, he may apologize, but that doesn't make it better that that doesn't justify it in his mind so he's i think he was perfectly uh, i think he was yeah it was fine for him to kind of get a little snarky with him there
1: okay. uh, why anyway.
0: did you think it was too much
1: no it's just um i don't know it's not it's not like it's like oh my god kid, lighten up kid mm-hmm. no it was just just a little it just seemed like it was like eh, maybe he could maybe He could have said something else. I don't know, but I like your explanation. Yeah, like I said, it it
0: absolutely works for me because, okay, even if this is the first episode you're seeing, you instantly know that this isn't the Batman and Robin from the 60s that were chums and partners and they loved each other dearly, you know? These are guys that do love each other, but there's a tension there. It's a father and son relationship that is kind of rough. And you're going to get that. You're going to understand that the dynamic isn't what you expected it to be.
1: How about the uh, animation? I, I liked. I liked uh, as any scene with Harvey in it. I loved.
0: Yeah, those real tight <laughs> uh, close-ups. Lightning of effects of him. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. lightning effects. Those were real good. Um, but when it comes to the rest of the animation, I didn't really notice if it was better than any. You know. Yeah. What was it, it was
1: no? It was it was it was kind of. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is. It was there was a dichotomy there. It was either really good or it was just yeah okay. Oh, okay, okay. So, but yeah, I I loved every single scene with Harvey in it. It was just really really creepy, cool, dark, macabre, just great lightning effects.
0: Yeah, I really think this may be some of the best Two Face uh, animation we've seen so far. I mean, because like I said, the the, the close-ups of Two Face really. They really stand out for me. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, Because, I mean, he's got such a distinct look. You have to nail that. If you don't get Two-Face down right, and you're trying to tell a Two-Face story, you failed. you failed before you put the first word on the page. If you can't draw him right, it's over. Mm -hmm. And they they did a really good job here. Um, Now, what do you feel about the psychological element to this episode, the whole... You know Harvey versus Two Face and Bruce slash Batman, the friend trying to step in but also stop the villain. What did you feel about that?
1: I loved it because it's just it. It feels like we're trying. He's uh, that Bruce is trying to uh, make right what he thinks he may have contributed to contributed to it in uh, Two Face, the, the two parter, um, and he is he he. Harvey Dent is a dear friend to him. He he, I mean, think if if you're if you had a a, a best friend who got hideously scarred and became just this wreck and this criminal mastermind basically, and whose life was basically ruined, but I like I like that uh, they explained that that he wasn't he was uh, going to psychiatric care and they were making a lot of progress because it was really cool to see Harvey Dent talking again. Only we only get to see Two Face. Uh, the Two Face voice come out, but this was the first time we've heard Harvey Dent's voice since the beginning of Two Face. Is it really? So, yeah, I don't remember hearing. I don't remember any any of Harvey Dent's kind of. Hey, he has a he has a deep voice, but it's not like, uh-huh. you know, just really scratchy and like, uh, hmm. you know. I thought you know what I'm saying. I thought I don't know. I
0: thought we got Harvey once or twice, not a lot, but I did think we got him once or twice, but.
1: I wish I could remember. Yeah. But it, it just that was just uh I thought I thought this was the first time we'd we heard just Harvey's normal voice no, since I thought we got Harvey in
0: trial when he was delivering his opening uh spiel.
1: Oh I think he was still in, in his scraggly two face voice there.
0: I think he was Harvey and then turned and did a two face thing with his v- final line. Hmm. After. the to... Well, no, I don't want to go back and rewatch. Yeah, go
1: you don't want to. Re-watch. You don't want to go over that <laughs> <Yeah>. episode again.
2: <laughs>
0: so, yeah, someone write in and let us know if uh, it's all been two faced to date, or if Harvey has had a line or two. Yeah.
1: But yeah, but overall, I do like I like the direction they took it because it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for Bruce slash Batman to want to save save Harvey for, you know, cliche as it sounds from himself. Mm-hmm. So, about you,
0: I, I really appreciate the ending of this one, not the. The ending ending, but the the climax where uh Harvey is hanging from the girder because he was going after the uh the coin that Batman had rigged.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and he's hanging there and he's got the coin in one hand, his other hand's holding, you know, him up, and Batman is leaning down trying to grab him, trying to pull him up, and Batman's saying, Harvey, let go of the coin. You know, choose, decide to save yourself. And Harvey's like, I can't, I can't decide without the coin. And it's this really tense moment with, I believe there's rain and lightning going on. Um, mm-hmm. I think Robin's in the background kicking some ass, isn't he? Yeah, because yeah. Batman was about to get shot.
1: Yep, and and, and he saved his ass.
0: Right, Robin did show up and saved him. So we have this action going on in the background where there's this intense drama. And finally... Harvey comes through. Harvey becomes the dominant personality, at least for a second, for long enough to save he and Two Face's lives. And he lets go of the coin, if memory serves. Yeah, he does. And he brings, yeah, because bring, yeah, that's right, because he brings his hand up. And I couldn't remember if he like, kept it in his hand or not and somehow still grabbed Batman's hand, but that just apparently doesn't even make sense. So, yeah, he drops the <laughs> coin and he reaches up, grabs Batman's hand, and he saves his life. That is really cool. It shows you that something in Batman's voice or Bruce's voice came through, broke through that wall that is Two Face, and reached Harvey's psyche enough to literally pull him up off the edge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That is
0: a very, mature, very mature uh, moment there that I appreciate deeply.
1: And they they uh, keep it going in in the final scene uh, when they're taking Harvey back mm-hmm. to uh, the asylum. They don't. They make sure they don't show any of Two Face in that entire scene. It's only they only show Harvey's the Harvey Dent side of his face when and him talking to Bruce and you know saying I'm you know you're always there for me. You've never given up on me. And they take they the animators took great care to not show any of Two Face in that camera panel right. or in that whole scene. So they they kept you know they really they really finished it off very nicely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. It's just—it's a solid episode. It's not like my favorite episode. I don't think it's like, oh my god, great. Mm-hmm. But I—I I, I do think it's really solid because of that climax. Um, but I—that I still do have some gripes with it. Um, the first being that final line that Robin delivers: "Hey, what are friends for?" I'm like, yeah. It felt a little cheesy, a little hokey to me. Cliché. Yeah. Very cliché. Um. And I thought it, it lightened up a moment that I wish hadn't been lightened. The whole final moment with Bruce and Harvey, I liked that. And I didn't mind that Dick was there. I appreciated that Dick was there. But I would have liked it if Dick and Bruce just kind of walked off together, silently. And we know that even though nothing's been said, they're appreciating each other's company.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So throwing that line in, I thought, did a great disservice to the episode.
1: Yeah, couldn't um, agree more.
0: And this other thing, you know, it might be a nitpick, but at the same time, i got to throw it out there. That's when Robin is kidnapped. Uh, he, you know, he's being held captive by Thorne's men. They've got him tied up, and they're they throw him over the bridge, correct? Yes. But they didn't take his utility belt off they threw him over the bridge while he was wearing his utility belt. And that, to me, I mean, every other villain takes off the damn utility belt. Why couldn't these guys do that? I don't know. It was a little irksome, yeah, maybe... It's I guess the, the purple he...
1: smoke might have made them afraid.
0: <laughs> well, apparently the purple smoke only works once, you know, because uh, Batman's belt is always coming off and people are playing around with the damn thing. So maybe Robbins is more secure. Who knows?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: But... Yeah, it was just a little irksome. I mean, I, I like the fact that Robin had the uh, the glass cutter in his glove. That was cool because mm-hmm. we saw him using it earlier and he slips it in his glove because he knows he's screwed. He knows he's going to have to hide it. So that's great. It made sense that it was there. But the belt being kept on, uh, I didn't like that so much. I mean, I know, you know, they had to have him pull a grappling gun out, but they could have him they could have had him save himself another way without a grappling gun. I don't know. They could have figured something out.
1: Yeah. Um the, the Robin hang glider comes out of the cape. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, he's got something yeah, he's
0: got something in his ass. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, it's just when when all the other villains take off the belt, it either means that Thorne's goons are ultra stupid and Thorns too, because he didn't tell them to take the, the belt off, or they just screwed up and they were like, Oh shit, we left the belt on. You know, or they just left it on him because it was convenient because that's that was the only way to get him out of trouble, and that, that's just the wrong way to go about it, in my opinion, so yeah, sorry if it's nitpicky, but I it just has to be said.
2: You know?
1: yeah. uh
0: what else about this one? what else
1: well, don't have a lot of notes left, but uh you know I, I agree it's it's a very solid episode based on the the climax with the uh whole construction scene, and I thought it was kind of it was weird that uh I mean, not weird, but that Robin comes along and saves the day. But I I would have liked, if, if not, if nothing else, but to get rid of that cliched ending line. But to have Batman maybe rebuke Robin for disobeying him, because that's how he acts in the comic books. Yeah. You know, you, you, if you're a Robin, you listen to what Bruce says Mm -hmm. and you follow his directions. I mean, look at what happened to Spoiler.
0: Yeah. Oh God.
1: God. So I would have liked to have seen may, maybe i, I it 's not like necessary, but it, I would not have objected to seeing Batman maybe scald uh, Robin for disobeying him, even though he saved his life because that 's what Batman would right, do yeah he would he wouldn't you know you save his life he doesn 't give a shit mm-hmm. if you if you disobeyed him that was the that was the a number one thing mm-hmm. so
0: while I see where you 're coming from, while I absolutely agree with you on what you 're saying there. I'm just going to point out the other side of this, okay? Earlier, remember, Robin had that line, oh, I'm just a kid in tights. So it shows that there's some friction there. So because we already know there's friction there because of that one line, we know that Robin's not going to follow all of Batman's orders. That He's going to say, you know what, screw it. This guy's my friend. He's my father figure. I'm going to go save his ass. And I don't care if I get yelled at because I love the guy. Mm
2: -hmm. So
0: I can see it from that angle, too. But I still agree with you. But I'm just showing this that there is this other argument to be made about it. Okay, so it's time to do our scores. And uh, first up was Baby Doll. What do you give this one?
1: And I never expected to give it a grade this high when I was going into watching it, but I'm giving it an eight.
0: Wow!
1: I'm yeah. Are you I kidding know. me? I'm not kidding. Wow! <laughs> it it, it, still, it impressed me that much. I know. I may go back and and look at it, over it again, mm-hmm. but I I think I, I can see myself. Sticking with an 8. Oh,
0: well, because it really was impressive. Okay, man. Wow. <laughs> now I'm looking at my grade and I'm like, wow, I'm giving it a 6. Is that
1: too low? <laughs> <laughs> I love planting the seeds of doubt.
0: <laughs> okay, so like I said, that was a 6 for me. The Lion and the Unicorn. What do you give this one?
1: Uh, Let's give it a 7.
0: I'm right there with you. Um, Showdown.
1: This one is hard. I I, I don't think it really should be, but... It, it just is, but I'm going to give it a nine. Okay, it's I love Jonah Hex. Yeah,
0: I'm going to I'm going to give this one an eight. I mean, it's Jonah Hex. It's a western. Batman's bar- barely in it, so that's kind of cool. It's expanding the universe. We get to see Rachel Gould in a new light. So yeah, eight. Okay, Riddler's Reform.
1: Now I'm going to slightly lower my grade from what I originally had it because. It's, I don't want my fanboyism to come out even more than it already has. I'm give, give it a it 12? Eight. What? No, I'm not going <laughs> to give it a damn 12. I would have given it a 15 if I had. No, no. Uh, I'll give it an 8.
0: Okay. I'm going to give this one a 7, but remember I said I raised my grade up, so it was originally a 6. Okay, second chance.
1: I'll give that one
0: a 7. Same thing. 7. Before he
2: came to... States, Alfred did some work as an attache in the British security services, more desk
1: jobs than field work. But he acquired quite a reputation for diffusing diplomatically dangerous situations in high security areas.
0: And I always thought he was just a nice old guy who polished the silver and fixed me sandwiches. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the final five episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being Harley's Holiday, Lock Up, Make em Laugh, Deep Freeze, and Batgirl Returns. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.